in the Constitution. I can drink my whiskey the way I want to. Um, so, you've been uh, stressed. I've been stressed. You want to talk <laughs> about it? I don't even know where to begin. You want to come sit on my couch? <sighs> I do. I want to lay down on the couch, have a little therapy set. In fact, we should have set up the mics where I could lay down on the couch and you could just have the mic there and you could just give me a therapy session. I'm going to pull a John here. What are you going to do? <laughs> How did that sound? I, I, really, I really hope that comes through because that sounded awesome. <laughs> like every, every, everyone's going to just all of a sudden go, I want a beer all I of a sudden. I don't know what uh, it is. But. It smells great too. It's a uh, Sierra Nevada Extra IPA, the Torpedo. So if you like the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, this is uh, the, the hoppy big brother, I guess, of it. The Torpedo. I think it's just a, like a single IPA, though. Let's see. ABV, please. 65 IBUs. No, no it's not. It can't be that high. 7.2. Yeah. Hmm. Big IPA, but not, not like in the, in the double territory. I'm sticking to my whiskey. All right. So why are you so stressed? This is not a good thing. You were telling me, you know, that you... Uh, I got busy again. Yeah. With a lot of really short deadlines, but it's things like I enjoy doing and I care about, and I've kind of been nitpicking at, at, you know, what I've been doing. So I've been designing some new UIs and some of it is visual force with the lightning design system. Some of it is, is squid stuff. Actually, a lot of it is squid stuff, but I, I did do some visual force lightning stuff. Um, and yeah, I kind of nitpicked over pixels and placement and spacing and things that no one else would care about but me. And I spent hours on it and I'm drained. I'm, I'm emotionally and mentally drained. Well, that, okay. So considering that that is the type of work that you like doing, let's talk about why this drained you so much and why it was so stressful. Because I don't think that was... Because I was doing three of them at the same time okay. under, and all, everything was like due, like today, midweek. How, how did that happen? Uh... One of it was the client delayed, and all these, all three of these products were the same client or different clients. No, uh, so the Visual Force is a different client. The other two Squid stuff is the same client. Okay, um, but internally they're not communicating. They had two competing deadlines, and I actually thought I was going to be done with one of them sooner than I was. And in fact, I wasn't done with it sooner. I ran into some issues, and it just delayed me. So it wasn't really like I took it on and said, "Oh yeah, give it all to me." It was more of some decisions were delayed on something, so I had a later start on the project. Something else prevented me from finishing one on time, and so I had to add extra time to finish that up. And then today, the other, the other client or division within that client, um, through no fault of their own, was expecting to see something today, and I just hadn't had a chance to get to it. So I kind of just mad, just pulled it out of my butt, basically. Yeah, I just, you know, and because this, this kind of happens to me too, and I'm not sure if you or I, either, you know, either one of us are much better at it than the other, but you end up in these situations like, it seems like to no, no, to no fault of your own, um, you end up in these almost like, you know, humanly impossible situations. And the only way to dig yeah. yourself out of it is to almost kill yourself, trying it working. Yeah, basically. And this is just not healthy. And the older I get, the more I'm just like, the more I'm just, I kind of just push back. And, I, and the reason I asked why it was separate clients is because sometimes, a lot of times it's a situation where 
you got two different clients and they don't know that they're both asking for, you know, 150% of John. Right. And so that, that's kind of a problem because then you have to explain to them, well, you know, I don't work just for you. You know, I'm not in your payroll or whatever. And that's why when you have an expect, when I'm going to be doing a project for you, there's some kind of expectation. We need to like look, figure out what that looks like on my calendar. Um, again, if, and if they don't have the full view of your calendar, if there's other clients involved and they don't, you know, they don't, sometimes they don't even know that what they're asking for is, is, uh, it's not a, it's not a reasonable expectation. Well, so- sometimes in, in all honesty, I didn't know it was going to be this way either. I mean, the requirements at, at the, at least the way I understood them, I and we had multiple meetings going back and forth on a lot of these requirements on this, on one piece. And that seemed pretty well determined. Like I knew what the requirements were. I knew what the UI was going to look like. I had already prototyped it and I just need to expand on that. So I thought I was going to have an easier time than I did building it out. The other one, um, the client did not, know what they wanted they they were asking for this kind of rapid um kind of prototyping thing so i was just supposed to build something so that they stick it in front of them so they could start throwing feedback you know kind of mold what they wanted this Mm -hmm. was kind of very much an exploratory you know thing um but me knowing them i can't do what i normally would do in that situation i can't just throw up a bunch of wireframes because they won't get it i have to actually show something that's further along a little more functional a little more tangible um, than say a bunch of screenshots and mockups. So, because of that, I in my head once I start getting into that mode of designing something more functional, mm-hmm. I really start nitpicking at things. I I I, I okay, nitpick so at the you, spacing. So I do you not at, account for your this nitpicking you do when you're making estimates? Is that the problem? I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm I'm really focused on how we get ourselves into these crunches. For me, I always think I'm faster than I am. I think I, I always think well, I can we do always it faster. Do, right? That's the that's the problem of any engineer. Like yeah. it's we in our mind, we're like, oh, I know how to I, I know how to do. That. I have something. I've, I've done something similar to that. It must just be like you know this other thing I did from another client or whatever, which always ends up to like not be the case, right? Um, and and actually, that even that thought process does a uh, kind of short circuits the 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 proper process of understanding the problem and the use cases and everything. By having something that looks similar enough, turns out it's not similar enough, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but even even the the degree of reuse, I knew it wasn't going to be reusing anything. I knew it was going to be building quite a bit from scratch. Um, but again, in my head, I was just like, I know how to do that. I can do that. I can get it done. Yeah. And, and you know, and so but, then, but it was predicated so then, on the fact that if I had any other delay in anything else, I was screwed. And that's what happened. I had delays. Yeah. And it screwed me. Right. So you, okay. So you, you, I pretty much estimated myself into a corner. I was like, I can get it done in this time frame because I'm super fast, but I didn't pad for anything. I really hate padding, but I didn't really consider what could go wrong or even how much of a perfectionist I was going to try to be. It really comes in waves. Sometimes, sometimes I'm okay with the way it looks and I can go, that's good enough. Let's talk about it. And other times I'm just really, just nitpicking. Especially what you're telling me is you did this to yourself. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not blaming anyone but myself. Well, and the thing that, I mean, I think was the biggest factor there was you, when you were coming up with, you know, or giving estimates, you were just thinking happy path in your mind. Oh, I know how to do that. You're not thinking about all the, all the, what is it's the Donald Rumsfeld thing. Like, there's the, there's the none, there's the known knowns, the known unknowns. But the scary part is the unknown unknowns. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's good when there's when you know there's certain things you don't know because you can account for them in some way or another. Pad your estimate, right? And, and, the, right. and people talk about. I think you're just 
you almost were talking about padding like this is a bad thing. No, this is a good thing because you know there's going to be valuable work required. You just don't know exactly what that is, but it's good for you to build that into your estimate so the client ends up with an actual reasonable estimate. It's not like you're you're padding something and you're like just going to bank all this money that you didn't have to work for. You know, that's that's not what it is. Well, let's be clear. I mean, when I say estimate, with this particular client, it's not so much an estimate of hours or translated into dollars. They actually really don't nitpick my hours. It's more of a when can I have it done. So when right, they're, they're far more concerned with calendar time than right, they are right. money. Because they know they're asking you know, for a lot. And, and so they don't nitpick my hours. They're like, just get it done, which is kind of awesome. But at the same time, I, I didn't really think how long it was going to actually take me to do something. So it wasn't, it wasn't even affecting anyone monetarily because it, it, it is what it is. What, what, where it was affecting was just my mental ability to actually meet those timelines. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting how, you know, from one client to the next, you know, some clients will be, you know, you can tell they're, they're experienced, they're mature, they kind of understand the process, they understand that there are unknowns and the, the business environment's changing and, and everyone involved has got to be able to roll with those changes and be dynamic, right? Then you got other clients... And this is, you know, this is, I guess, you know, uh, failing on the on the consultant part. But I mean, I, I kind of was victim to this the other day. Had a client, we had, you know, a few great, like, kind of like, I don't know, what requirement sessions or you know, story planning, whatever you want to call it, and discoveries. Um, <laughs> and you know, at the end of it, we're, you know, we were like, okay, well, this, the question is, you know, do we have do we have enough now that we can start building? You know, not that we know everything, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's a fallacy. You're never going to know everything. Um, you're never going to have perfect upfront requirements. So, do, but do we know enough to start building? And I was like, yeah, I think actually, I think I've got enough to start building. You know, so the next steps will be, um, you know, just probably doing some reviews, looking at some designs. I'll probably have some questions, but even before that, and we'll just take it iter- iteratively. And then, like, t- you know, two days later, we get a, an email from this client. They're like, yeah, um, we've got someone that needs to take some vacation. Is this this is almost done, right? <laughs> <laughs> And that's when I realized, like, I mean, it, I laugh, but obviously I didn't do, we didn't do a, a good enough job of being very clear with um, the process and the, and the timeline. And that's just one of the, that's one of those things. It's just, it is a very much a person by person, client by client thing on how to, how much you need to communicate. Right. You know, you don't want to over communicate. You don't want to under communicate. And it's, it's difficult, but. I think it is a person by person. I, I think I cringe at, at, you know, the, the T's and C's that come with statement of works and things like that. I mean, obviously those are needed, but I, th- I think sometimes when you attempt to absolve yourself from risk, you end up shoehorning your process into this waterfall because you're saying, well, we need to know everything because we don't want to have any risk. We need to know everything we, we need to build so that you don't come to us with some kind of shock or, or not want to pay us because, you know, we need to find something up front. Well, and again, that's this almost childish level of thinking. Like if you think you're going to, contract your way out of risk and out of unknowns, then that's crazy. And we need to have another discussion about what we can do to understand the risk and mitigate the risk. But if we're concerned about our T's and C's, that, that means you've already failed. That means that um, things have gone bad and now we need to figure out who can sue who for how much. You know, and if, and you, know, you, don't, you don't even want to ever want to get to that point. Yeah, sometimes you're forced to. I mean, the, the larger enterprise companies... I mean, lawyers talk talk before you guys talk, or before the project team talks. It just depends. I mean, um, different companies of of these large sizes, I think, operate differently. I mean, I've been able to get 
contracts through with hardly any change and with like with my language hardly any changes um i've had other companies that you know they they insist on you using their contract which of course has to be completely changed and then it's like back and forth with lawyers and that's when i'm just like it's not worth it it's not worth it <clears throat> at some yeah. point it, it pretty quickly with as much as lawyers cost it becomes not worth it if we can't um you know okay i get it we have to have a contract and i have to have a contract too that says I'm going to get, here's where to mail the check to and the fact that you're going to mail a check, right? I got to have that. But beyond that, it's like I want the smallest contract possible because, again, um, we're going to be learning much more about each other and about this project and what we need to get done. And it's, and it's going to be, it's a changing thing. It's a moving target. And so we want, we want the most flexible framework possible, not the most rigid framework possible. Right. And, it's, and then it's, it's all about relationship and trust. Like, if we can't at some point learn how to trust each other and and if we don't trust that we're all kind of working for the same goal here, then we shouldn't be working together. I mean, that's this. This is like this goes back to the before they, you know, the, the Matt Agile Manifesto was even created. You know, that it's just this understanding of um, what what are they like? What were their principles? It's you know, people over processes, and I don't know if they have one that's like something over contract terms, but something like that. Um, you know, we value working software over comprehensive documentation. That that kind of thing. But it's all it, like it's all underlined by you've got to in order for any of these processes to be to be successful, you've got to have a pretty good level of trust. Yeah, or you are going to want to lawyer the hell out of everything, right? I don't know, but I mean, I mean, back to kind of my issue. I <clears throat> I don't know that there's an there is an answer or anything I could have done to avoid it other than. Well, I think so. I don't think that actually. I think that's that's not a good attitude to have. Like, I think you should have an attitude like. I could have done that better. That didn't have to be on as hard on me as what it was. The, the only way it could not have been as hard on me as it was if I hadn't nitpicked so much on certain things. If I hadn't just spent hours working on my spacing so and pixel perfection. So are you saying you wasted time or was that just a part of coming up with a good design? Well, I, I, I feel... And was that not valuable time spent? Necessary time spent? So here's where my insecurities come out. It's It's... I feel like I've done a certain level of work and a certain quality of work that everything I do either has to match or be greater than that. And, and I, I, again, I'm speaking from UI, not necessarily back-end code. I'm, I'm speaking about UI, the way it works, the way it functions, because I've kind of carved out a niche where that's what I do. You know, I, you so, come to me when you want something to look. And, okay, and, so this is what your customers are asking you for. Yes, and so I feel like I'm... Con and again, this is for the same client that I've been doing this for, for over two years now. Right. And I feel like I have to keep constantly topping myself. It's pressure I put on myself, but it's that it's that psychological pressure of I've got to keep topping myself. I've got to keep showing value. I've got to keep doing this. And so I do tend to stress over certain things because otherwise I'm like, well, if this turns up crappier than something I did then, what does that mean about my quality of work? Am I degrading? Am I atrophying here? Well, you got to figure out how to strike some balance on like, you're doing good work and it's, it's work that the client wants you to do. Cause at some point, if you are just really just like splitting hairs or, or just going back and forth, you can't make up your mind on stuff or something like that. Then that becomes, that becomes some, it's something so with much, you and not, it's not so much trying to figure out how I want it done. I know exactly how I want it done. It's more so the, it's getting it to it that, that it's putting the polish. I'm putting the polish on too early is what I'm doing. <laughs> Title. <laughs> because <laughs> because again all these things like you know the pixel perfection the font sizing the colors you know all of that kind of stuff should come last it should come 
that should be the polish. That should be you polishing your UI. But but unfortunately with this client, they have a hard time seeing the raw form and visualizing the end product. So I always feel rushed to put the polish on early. Well, don't enable them to be immature with their process. Like help them grow as an organization. <laughs> they're, not. they're not. They're 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 a fast growing company with departments with a lot of money and very short timelines and a very demanding boss. And so all they can do is roll that down to me. And so all of that rolls down to me and I got to produce and I feel like I got to produce. So I feel all that pressure. Right or wrong, that's just, yeah, that just right or wrong, sound, I feel it. Yeah, well, no, yeah, I, I understand because that but, does not sound healthy. Well, it, it may not, but at the same time, it challenges me. If I learn and do new things all the time, I'm, I'm honing my skills, I'm getting better at it. I, okay. I feel but like I'm growing from it. That's not a justification it. for you almost killing yourself on a repeated basis. <laughs> like I, we can all grow and learn new things and feel good about it and do good work without without going through that. And that's that's the point I'm trying to like. And again, this, really is, this, is, this, is, this is me and right this now. is for me and you because we both we both deal with this. And I think probably most people who I don't even think it's limited to people who like do contract work. I think it's you know you being an employee and that you, you can face the same things. But it's like figuring out how to. How to set healthy expectations, how to have sustainable pace. Because that's really when you're going to do the best work. I mean, I'm sorry, but you, you can look at, there's data to back all this stuff up. 12 hours in to the day, programmers do shit work. It's not good. You really end up fighting against yourself and your, your, pro, your productivity goes down so much. If you would just sit down, watch a TV show, then go to bed and wake up fresh, you know, you would be much better off. You're going to wake up crisp and you're going to, I mean, I've done that before where I've spent like four hours at night on something, trying to get something done. And I just finally go to bed. And then the next morning, if I can get enough sleep, I'll wake up and like within 30 minutes, I'll knock and I'm like, oh, why didn't I just go to bed earlier? I've why did I waste that. my time on I, that? I've tried, to be, I've tried to do that more often and I do do that more often than I used to. And I, you know, Because I would, I would sit there and just, I would get to the point where I'm just highlighting things on my screen with my mouse. I'm just, I'm just highlighting it. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there highlighting it over and over. You're selecting and unselecting text over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Or clicking a checkbox over it. Or I did some kind of animation and I'm just like clicking that animation over and over and over. And it's just, my brain is done. Yeah. Uh, besides that, after hour 10, this happens. Right. Yeah. And nothing, nothing productive <laughs> happens after that. So, um, all right, well, let's talk about this Chrome update. So yeah, I, I just mentioned that I just restarted Chrome and I it popped back up and looked different. So what's the story here? I have no idea. The only reason I the only reason I realized it is because it changed something that I do all the time, and I it was critical to my productivity. Is it safe for work? Huh? Oh, <clears throat> <Yeah. laughs> that stuff on Twitter that, that was Chrome that accidentally posted all yeah. that stuff. <laughs> that was Chrome. <laughs> uh, excuse all me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think what they're trying to do is improve the security. It's a it. I, I haven't gone through and read, read the release notes to understand why this happened, but in the console, typically in the console, when you're, you're in, in, in the context of developer tools. The JavaScript console? Right. Okay. So the JavaScript console. Safari has one. Chrome has one. Firefox has one. I'm sure. I bet Edge has one, too. Yeah, my, does, who cares does, about Edge? Does Lynx have one? I don't know. What is that? <laughs> I'm talking about the, the top players. Okay. Just wondered why you started naming <laughs> browsers. Anyway, go ahead. Well, because I went through and tested in all those browsers to make sure that this still worked. Okay. And what happened? It, so here's here's what I do. I write a bunch of JavaScript. It's client side stuff. I have a I have my interfaces set up. I'm calling them interfaces. My namespaces set up to where I have certain. Do you methods. have namespaces? 
Oh, wow. They're what? faux JavaScript namespaces. <laughs> See, not everything has namespaces. Oh, we get Java- away with in JavaScript. But JavaScript has techniques for that. that yeah, we, we create fake namespaces. No. I mean, like, the, you know what an iffy is? Niffy. Iffy. Yeah, that's, that's one, of the, one of the ways. I mean, that's the, one of the techniques that the Java or JavaScript like modularization and packaging is based So on. describe it to me. I probably do it without realizing it's called iffy. Um, uh, you do. Because um, I'm kind of, I'm a tinkerer. You do. I guarantee you do. It's an immediately invoked, sorry, let me start over. Immediately invoked function expression. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a safe way to do it. Iffy. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I have my public methods exposed, and then I have a bunch of private methods that are encapsulated within that. It's all scoped and everything. Yeah. Um, so one thing I do to kind of test my things out to make sure things are working or if I'm seeing something weird is I'll actually access those those functions in the console. So I'll, I'll do my namespace dot my module dot my function and call it and see what comes back. You can't do that anymore. For some reason, this latest update prevents you from running and accessing any JavaScript interfaces through the console. That's what it is, a JavaScript console. I couldn't do yeah. it. No, and I, I, so I, I was like, okay, something's weird here. Mm-hmm. Maybe, my, maybe I screwed up my, my code. And so I went to Safari. It worked. I went to Firefox. It worked. I came back and then I was like, why doesn't this work anymore? And then I noticed my icons were different in my browser. I was like, oh crap, it just updated, didn't it? So I'm wondering if they're trying to improve security or something. I haven't gone and read the release notes on it, but all I know yeah, is if you would quit broke. writing, If you would quit writing insecure code, it wouldn't block your code, John. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the thing I noticed the other day was I use Plex, which is one of these home theater PC. Actually, Plex is great. They've got like iPhone and Android apps and just works really well. It'll run I'll on your... So you're a pirater. I didn't say that. You can, you can, you can rip all of your legally purchased Blu-rays <laughs> and play them on Plex. Well, what is it? Like HBO did some statistics or something that said like some of their content... What was it? Game of Thrones was like the most pirated... Yeah, I think TV show ever. Yeah. yeah. And that's weird. Well, that's, and I, I thought of you. I was like, well... Jeremy doesn't, he kind of downloads it, but he doesn't do it with the intent to pirate it. Like almost all the stuff that I download, like that kind of stuff and Netflix or whatever, because I actually download Netflix stuff because I can get a better quality yeah. product by downloading than I can from streaming it live from Netflix. And also, um, you know, for consumer ISPs, the peak time is like, you know, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., right? And that's the time when things are the slowest. And that's the time when your ISP like doesn't want you downloading a bunch of stuff. So what I'll do is I'll um, you know pre-cache as I like to say all my Netflix content that I want to watch overnight, right? During off-peak, so that when we watch because we do watch TV shows during during prime time, but I've already downloaded them, so I'm not stressing everyone's servers and making my neighborhood slower and all that stuff. And I, I feel like you're an example of the person that gets screwed whenever they pass legislation or some law or some do some DRM thing that prevents right. you from doing something that. Is, is just to improve your enjoyment of the product. Well, the good thing not is not <laughs> necessarily to screw someone's rights to to get paid for something. The good thing is, is that crap never works. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, so Plex, uh, there's a, a basically like a web player um, that you can run in, in the browser, and I open it up, and I can even there's a drop down to select like you can essentially cast it to another device. So I'm running this on my on my laptop. But then I can basically essentially cast it to my TV because I've got a Mac Mini that runs my home theater. And when I click this button to that, which normally gives me a drop down of devices I can cast it to, mm-hmm. I get this weird Chrome pop up that wants me to pick like a Chromecast device, and it wasn't working at all. And it turns out that um, there's some new thing in the latest version of Chrome 
that it once it somehow hooked into that and wanted in Chromecast to cover. So I had to go into this. It's not even a setting you can access unless you know this this, you know, something Chrome colon slash slash setting slash slash blah blah blah. All this like weird thing to get to this setting so I could disable this thing. I wish I remember what it was called now. Hmm. Uh, media selector or something like that. So what, this, this is what makes computers. This is what pisses people off about computers. This is why my parents, you know, basically you couldn't, they can't operate stuff like that by themselves. Like who can, who would be able, you know, they, they wouldn't figure that out. This is not user friendly. But they, I mean, they're doing these things to improve security, right? I mean, these changes, these updates, these. Well, that no, this wasn't. This was like a Chrome wanting to push Chromecast. Well, yeah, I guess. okay. I'm not. I, I'm. Not, I'm just guessing. I really don't know. I don't understand why that. Which also tells me that. Whatever Plex was doing with their dropdown, they were probably doing something to expose that to Chrome as like, hey, this is a media selector thing. Right. Because otherwise Chrome, I mean, it's just otherwise it's just a web page. How would Chrome have known that that dropdown is for selecting something to cast to? So there's Yeah, more than likely they're picking back off of some undocumented API. It's a hack. Or maybe it's documented. Maybe there's some media API I don't that's part of HTML5 that I I think I there it. is. I don't know. I'd have to read more. I don't, if, I don't, if it was HTML HTML5 compliant, it it just worked, right? Uh, exactly. Because HTML5 is <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you caught the sarcasm. There. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember that? That's that time. I tried kind of, to play that straight. No, that that time has kind of passed. But do you remember before? This is a couple of years ago. But it's um, people thought if you were going to build something in HTML five, then it would it would look like automatically it would just look like um whatever the <clears> hot <throat> you know uh, consumer API or uh, interfaces were at the time. Oh yeah. Oh, that's going to be HTML5? Awesome. That's Web 2.0, right? Yeah, exactly. It's going to look awesome. <laughs> Actually, you know what? To that point. When I was having these conversations with, with my client, the one that is doing the open-ended prototyping one, um, I was asking all these questions. I was asking, like, well, does it have to be supported by browsers? Do I have to worry about, you know, responsiveness? Because it was client-side facing. It wasn't just internal. And one of them just kind of chimed up because this was a Google Hangouts meeting, okay. I guess. Yeah. And uh, he kind of looks at the camera and he's like, uh, he's kind of got this weird look on his face. And then he just chimes up and says, I thought... I thought that was in the past. I didn't think he had to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. I was like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's gotten worse. Because <laughs> right. we, we have different resolutions we have to deal with now. We have different, uh, we just, it, it's just not gotten better. No, it's always one step forward, two steps back. It, it is. You know, to try and make no. something that just That's, works across these, all these different devices and is responsive and it just, it has not gotten better. Continue with my metaphor soup. That's probably uh, a glass, glass half empty look view on it but it does seem like sometimes it's one step forward two steps back well you, you would think i mean I, i'm sure there are plenty of people out there who hey, think if it was that this great, has been solved if it was that great lightning would have been done a year ago right where, where, i'm, I'm just, just saying kicking on lightning no now. i'm not i'm just saying like if, it, <laughs> if this was easy like i mean salesforce what are they what are they they're probably three years into lightning from when they started it internally right and it's still 98 percent of orgs can't use it no they can well, sure, they, they, <laughs> if they don't care about any of their existing processes and stuff, sure. No, I mean, the, so, the, so the numbers that they're trying to tout is that 90%, somewhat, some of the upper majority percentage could be using it. It's the minority that can't because oh, the minority is the ones stupid, who are doing crazy. Stupid customers. You don't know that you should be using Lightning? <laughs> <laughs> stupid customers don't know what's, what's good for them. <laughs> That's what they're saying. Our customers are just as confused as we are. All they want to do is get their stuff done. They just want software that works that gets the stuff done. Yeah. They don't care about the agendas. They don't care about the propaganda. They don't care about the marketing. They don't care that it's lightning. They just want it to work. 
I mean, uh, and they want the features yeah. that come out to work with their system. But what's going to happen and what is happening is that you have to have lightning enabled, enabled to get this new feature. Right. And not only that, but they, but they, if you enable lightning, your lead conversion is not going to work. Right. And half these other things don't work. Yeah. I mean, they, and, they basically strong arm you into and, it. And so you, so you take pop say, up bugs all the time. Take chatter. For example, <clears throat> if you disable chatter, there goes your global search. You can't global search. <laughs> that, that's a Screw g- you if you want a global search because that's somehow tied to Chatter because Chatter has everything to f- <laughs> do with freaking global search. That, that, that's a coupling fail right there. What the hell? <laughs> I don't, I have it's no not idea. like they relaxed it later and said, yeah, that was just kind of our way to get people to upgrade. No, we relaxed that requirement. Now global search works. Doesn't matter if Chatter's enabled. No, it's just there. That's what happens Screw when you. you give two products to 1 p.m. <laughs> They're just going to be completely coupled to each other. Oh, god damn. Yeah. <laughs> Marker? Yeah. Um, I just want to say that. Oh, I said it twice. <laughs> Why do you hate me, John? <laughs> I'm in a mood. Um, let's see. Beer update. Um, did I tell you that I've, I'm all ready to go for kegging? You've been telling me the okay. story, but no, I, I want you to share this I've, story. This is one of those things I probably have told you like seven times now. No, I'm just uh, so... I've got a beer that's um, that's uh, gonna be ready to be packaged probably this weekend, and luckily I've got all my kegging stuff ready. So I've got um, a so you got of, everything delivered. I, like, yeah. Last I talked to you, you were ordering a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I've got all. So I've got um, starting with just two kegs, um, but I've got a, I went and bought a freezer to store them in, um, to keep them cold, and this special little controller that keeps the freezer at actual. Beer temperatures, not frozen temperatures, and then just all the other stuff, just just hoses and faucets and. And you're sticking with stuff. your plan not to kegerator the, the refrigerator or the freezer. I don't really. I mean, I don't have a kegerator because, yeah, I basically just went with it. It's kind of ghetto, but it's just for me. It works out better. Um, it's a I have a, like a chest freezer, a deep freeze, right? Is that what they're called? I guess. And it's a it's a relatively small one. It can barely fit four of these kegs in it. But they, but they do fit like perfectly. Um, but when you want to get, go get a beer, you have to open the lid on the deep freeze and and grab the. Well, that's lame. Drill some holes, man. Nah, I, I could. I, I might at some point. I could. I could add that. Yeah. But I'm just not one of these guys who sits around and drinks like eight beers in the afternoon. I mean, I'll maybe like one or two beers a day, and it's just the amount of hours of work that's involved in in doing that thing. People do that. Yeah, that's called a keyser. Actually, turning your freezer into a oh kegerator a or whatever. Yeah. So you have kegerator, which is a plan refrigerator, and keyser, which is a plan freezer. I could do that. It's just a lot of work, and I just don't care that much. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hire those. Uh, what was it? Those uh, restoration guys to to take a gas pump and turn it into a kegerator for you. Okay. <laughs> so is this in your garage or in your house or where's it sitting? Yeah, it's in the garage. But yeah, I'm really, in this I'm, hundred degree temperature, it's got to be working overtime. I guess so. And I think technically you're not supposed to put freezers in your garage or yeah, refrigerators, you're really. You're not. Yeah. But it was a, what was a $200 freezer. So if it goes bad in four years, oh. then let's get another one. Yeah. Guess what I spent $200 on? A, a bottle of wine? No. No. Oh, okay. A single refrigerator door replacement. Uh, just the door? Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, <clears throat> apparently someone had wiped it with a rag that had something on it and it scratched the surface. And we've only had this new fridge for like a month. Yeah. And my wife, <laughs> she's going to be listening to this. She's gonna I'm surprised it was only 200 bucks. That's actually not, I mean, for well, a, you probably have a pretty nice refrigerator. <laughs> you know. there's, there's a long story around that. So, so it got scratched up and my wife is pissed. 
because I, I think my brother did it when he was visiting us. <laughs> I think he like grabbed a rat because he had used the the water feature wrong. He didn't know where the water came out of. So when he did it, water went everywhere. And so he tried to clean it up. So he wiped the floor so with a rag. No, there was a, you guys were working on a project earlier. So there's a piece of sandpaper on the counter. So he grabs that and starts wiping. No, it I think he wiped the floor <laughs> and then wiped the, the refrigerator. And I guess grains of sand were on yeah. it and he scratched the hell out of the, the surface. You can see it. And my wife is pissed. Sure. She didn't find it till after he was gone, but she was pissed. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Just freaking replace the door if you have to. <laughs> right. It's going to bother you that much, right? Yeah. And, and so it, it, Cost us 200 bucks, but it could have been worse because shipping from the manufacturer, I think they charged like some kind of like, it would have been like three or $400 to ship from them. You can get a refrigerator delivered for $70. So. I know. Mm. It's crazy. So she actually found another place that basically orders it from them, but then ships it direct. I guess they do so much volume, they're yeah. able to ship this stuff because it's like an LG and I guess that's made in China or something. Korea. And so they're able to kind of mass ship these things and then ship them for cheaper. Yeah. So we didn't end up paying that much, but like 90% of it would have been shipping if it went direct from the manufacturer. Yeah. So tangent. Yeah. We need a tangent bell. Anyways, I'm sure everyone was really <clears throat> curious about my refrigerator. Um, so I, <clears throat> I mentioned to the, you, this the other day, this to you, that uh, I saw that Salesforce announced that they'll be releasing their, I guess it's Q2, their Q2 results. On mm-hmm. August 30th, which is like, I guess, statutorily, almost the latest possible moment they can hold those to release those. It's my birthday. And so, Mike, well, happy birthday, John. Happy birthday happy to me. Happy early birthday. I'll be an old man. My question to you is, what does that mean that they're waiting until the last minute? That and they, they announced, they announced that, it like a month ahead that they would that be. They're, that they're going, how much of this deferred revenue can we move <laughs> exactly. over? <laughs> they're having to do some accounting engineering. They are. <laughs> They are awesome at that. Yeah. They are incredible. No, you know, it's... Um, you know who deserves a gold star? Who? The accounting team at Salesforce. Because they know how to That's move... True. They know how to move that deferred revenue in and out and with every which way. I think, I think gold star should be something we, we start awarding. Either We can do, either do it to each other when we do something good or uh, someone else. <laughs> I'm, actually, in fact, I'm going to hand out some gold stars later in the episode. All right. The inaugural gold star goes to Salesforce Accounting... <laughs> yeah. For their ability <laughs> to make the numbers work and continue to make that stock go up. Yeah. What's it? What's it at? Eighty something right now? Yeah. Today they were down. The market was down a little bit. It never. It never. Well, I guess it did go down, but it, it bounced right back up. It's like in in the stock market, it seems like if you bump the ceiling and you push it up, that's your new that's your new ceiling. It doesn't matter what happens in between. That's your new ceiling, and that's what you that's. When things are going normal, you get automatically put up to that ceiling. Especially when that original bump was created by buyout rumors. Oh, the Microsoft. And then all of a sudden, their new ceiling was that buyout rumor ceiling. Yeah, it, was, they, it wasn't based on actual performance right. of any kind. It was just like, all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, someone's might buy them. Their stock is $80, $80 no, now. What happens is everyone realizes, oh, wow, idiots are willing to pay that much for Salesforce stock. Wow. Okay. That's, <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Normal operations. Right. There's your new ceiling. Exactly. So yeah, so that'll be interesting to see that. Um, yeah, so we've been in earnings season, but you know, it's weird. Salesforce is always a month behind. It's like, you know, was it a few weeks ago? We got like, you know, Microsoft's earnings. And by the way, did you see LinkedIn? They, um, they're still, you know, operating as a, as a separate company, but they had great earnings. Uh, if by great, you mean still no gap profit, but like they're, um, they had non-gap profit. And they also had, 
just massive, um, like every single one of their revenue categories, whatever, double digit growth. And I think they're like a billion, a billion a quarter. Despite my feelings like on that. LinkedIn, I don't, I don't think their problem is maintaining what they have. It's just their prospects for growth. I mean, where do they go from here? There's, there's really not much growth avenue, I don't think. Well, the numbers completely would argue with that. I mean, nice. they're just growing. Like, they're, they're, their growth rates are like going up and they're having all the success with um, these new programs. I don't know much about them, but basically it's like essentially people who want to hire and stuff, the, the money they pay. They also have some new video thing, which uh, looked kind of interesting. So, I mean, I don't know. They seem to be finding ways to grow. <clears throat> okay. Well, more power to them. <clears throat> well, and that part of their business is, is what it is. I think, it'll, I think it'll grow and I think it'll probably, they'll at some point, you know, hit leverage and be able to uh, be profitable. But I think their more interesting future is what Microsoft can do with them um, as a part of the Dynamics platform. That, and that's not obviously much more speculative, but I mean, if Microsoft doesn't screw that up, that'll be huge. And I think that could, what that does for Dynamics could dwarf the standalone value of LinkedIn. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, actually, I'm kind of glad we brought up LinkedIn because I, I think when we first talked about the LinkedIn buyout, I had said some things about the API or the things that I thought the Salesforce connection with LinkedIn could do. Turns out I was wrong. <laughs> and it, it was when I think back on it and when I researched it, because I still have access to that org, it was actually a third party app that actually enabled some of that integration, some of that LinkedIn data to come into the yeah. system. It wasn't just the natural open API that does that because they, they actually have a tiered model where you can get basic information on LinkedIn, but then there's like this other level that you have to pay for to get actual company information or something like that. So that's what that third party was offering into the system. So for anyone who, who went out there looking for it and was like, it never did that. I was like, well, that's why. Yeah. I was misinformed. That reminds me, God, I've, I've, done, I've had some just um, surface level interaction with Marketing Cloud. And it's just funny how those are just so not integrated. It's like if they, and there's these, um, what's it called? The Marketing Cloud Connector which mm-hmm. is a thing that'll basically do a one-way pull from Salesforce. To, well, I should say from the sales cloud, which is what I used to call Salesforce. <laughs> a one-way pull from <laughs> Salesforse into... Exact, it, it, into it's exact not clouds co- anymore. In, in, Jer- Jeremy, it is not clouds anymore. What is it's it? lightning. The lightnings, different lightning bolts or what it's, is this? It's marketing, light, lightning marketing. I mean, lightning comes out of clouds, so I'm not... Everything is lightning. It's not clouds anymore. It used to be clouds. Clouds was a thing. First, it was force. Everything was force. Then everything was some kind of apex. Then everything became clouds. Now everything is lightning and thunder. There needs to be a trailhead trail on meteorology so we can get our metaphors straight here. Or um, cumulus. Yeah. That's a cloud. Yeah. Cumulus. Yeah. yeah. And the cumulonimbus. Oh, rain, yeah. rain, rain cloud or whatever. Cirrus. Yeah. Stratus. I think, How I'm many, making, I think I'm making stuff up now. <laughs> no, all you're doing is advertising because everyone who's involved in cloud has oh, they, found some kind of... Oh, those names are all taken. Yeah, yeah. they're all taken. <laughs> yeah. Any, any, anything, you, anything they've named a cloud has been taken and yeah. become a company name. Right, don't even try. Don't, don't try. Unless you're willing to take a vow out. Oh. Yeah. Then, then you're good. Yeah. Possibly. Stop naming your stuff after clouds. <laughs> Come up with something original. Just, just stop. Sean, you're admonishing. Okay. What are we talking about? We could have been the cloud curmudgeons. Um, yeah, back to so yeah, earning. Oh no, I was, was going to make the point that because Salesforce decided to start their fiscal year in February, 
their results always come about a month after, like almost everyone else's. That's nothing sinister. That's just no, no, not at all. That's I'm not, just I'm not a point in time it's, where that's that not happened. sinister. It's just annoying. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> I see what you're saying. Anyway, I thought you were kind of trying to make some kind of back ended conspiracy point that oh, they're just trying to see what the market is doing and they want to release the numbers after everyone else. All right, but so, to that point, let, let, let's talk about. I really want to get to this subject. Let's talk about Quip. Well, bef- okay, I've got some other stuff to cover before we get into that because that's a big topic. Okay, there's just the points of business we got to get through. So last year, you and I <clears throat> both went to Dreamforce. Um, you were not an MVP, but we both. Um, I was an MVP at we, Dreamforce. You were. Yeah, you were. Okay, but I, we was bo- a, I was an MVP after the summit, but in time for the for. Uh, Dreamforce. But by that point, though, you and I both had gotten uh, press passes. Yes. Right. Um, so this year, you... So I had a press pass. Yeah. I didn't go as an MVP. <laughs> I went as a press. Right. So I was able to get into the <clears throat> press cafeteria, yeah, which was, was super awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it was not. It was the same food you guys got. Um, it was a room of a bunch of people who... For some reason, didn't want to talk to each other. No, and journalists are kind of a sad bunch, aren't they? Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it. Honestly, I don't. Journalism, I don't think is a lucrative or happy career. I, I path. thought I'd go in there and like I'd make some buddies with some press, and we we make some connections. And everyone was just kind of. They were all on their laptops writing stories and eating lunch. Yeah, face basically. Down. Yep, dropping sandwich crumbs on their keyboard. Yeah, and- that that that's. If you have some delusions of grandeur of what goes on in a press room, don't because yeah. it's it's a sad. Yeah, it's a sad <laughs> environment. And the food is it's probably worse than the food that the general public got, I think. I mean, we did have a fridge with beverages and things. We could have... Well, they had ice cream, too, but I don't think I yeah. ever got any. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so this year, you don't have to worry about um, getting a press pass to um, for your Dreamforce admission fee uh, because you're an MVP. But I do. So again, as with last year, I, I apply, sign up as a, as a... I think it's, you know, press, but including that's podcasters and... Press blogger. I think blogger, too. Called is, it, yeah. You could be a blogger. Um, and last year, um, I remember before they approved us, I got an email from them saying, Hey, um, give us your URL to your podcast and ask us some questions. I checked it out made sure we weren't like one of these podcasts that's affiliated with a company. Cause I don't think they, I don't, right, right. yeah, we're not promoting some company or whatever. And so they checked us out and then they're like, okay, yeah, you're good. Good to go. <clears throat> Obviously you're a podcast who covers Salesforce and you're not, um, part of a company. Right. Well, this year they didn't ask anything at all. I just got the other day. I got an email saying, uh, "Yeah, your press pass is declined." So here we are with this podcast that we've been doing for two years, over two years. We're almost a hundred episodes. We've put between you and I. I mean, I don't even want to know how many thousands of dollars we've spent on just doing the podcast, equipment, getting places, whatever. So also, also our time. I mean, yes. Yeah, oh, oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I have the, new swag. By yeah, the way. we don't. By the way, like, I don't think I think people are confused. There's no money that's made from this, right? <laughs> and so all of our equipment, everything we go and do, the swag that we gave away, like this, there's no, like Salesforce doesn't pay for that. Like we are, you know, we printed up like a 200 shirts to take. We printed up a bunch of mugs, right? To give away. And just because this is a thing we do for fun, right? Should we have printed, was that smart of us to print up shirts and mugs and, and do this? Probably not. <laughs> but this is, this is, this is a nonprofit enterprise, so it doesn't matter. I looked at it as an exercise in understanding marketing. It, it was, a, it was experience in marketing. Right. Well, my, my bigger point here is that we've done, we've done all this for two years at great personal expense, mm-hmm. right? To cover the Salesforce, Salesforce as a company, their products, the ecosystem, everything else. 
And now Salesforce, after all that, says, yeah, go screw yourself. They don't need you. They don't need me. No. And they probably, I mean, maybe I actually hit their radar. They're like, oh, that's that Jeremy guy. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, that's what you hope. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, uh, Let's go with that. Let's go with the it. fact that it had nothing to do with anything else but the fact that they know Jeremy. Like, they're like, what is this? Good Day Sir podcast? Oh, Jeremy Ross. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> make um, Jeremy an MVP now, so he can go to Dreamforce. So uh, I applied for the press pass this year, totally speculatively, because I really didn't think I probably would go. In fact, even last year after Dreamforce, I was like, I, I'm kind of glad I went, I guess, to just so I could say that I've been. Well, I was big about you going because you hadn't been. But I and did, you've been I, doing this for years. Yeah. But I did say after Dreamforce Overlast, I, I, I said, I think I'm a one and done here. Because even already, like, I mean, that, that conference is a shit show. It's a, it's a, it, I don't want to say it's a disaster. I mean, it's, it's actually amazing, right? I don't want to, people that, uh, I don't it's want, I don't take anything away from that, people that work hard on that because it is, um, it's a, for what, <laughs> for what they're trying to cram in, just size and physical size and everything else, um, and capacity is, it's, uh, it's pretty, it is pretty amazing. I have to give them credit. That not, being said, not to I, mention expectations. That I mean, being said, I, I think it's a Sisyphean task. That they have to a, a what? Look it up. <laughs> a Sisyphean? Yes. <laughs> Hold on, I've never heard that word before. Really? How do you? Sp- is that a C or S? Um, no, it's an S. Let's see. Sisy- I, I I don't even know that. I've never heard of that word. Sisyphus. Look, look, look up Sisyphus. I don't even know how to spell that word. Sisyphean. Anyways, it's the term for a task that is endless and ineffective. Uh, comes straight out of a Greek myth. Sisyphus was a king of Corinth, son of blah blah blah. Anyway, if you care, look it up. Um, and and yeah, it was just it's for me. It's just it was it's it's too much crowded in there. I, I did say like if they would move that to a place that could accommodate it better. I mean, they're kind of a victim of their success. They managed to get 150. Well, we don't know how many people go there. They don't say that. They say how many people registered. Right, I, I, they'll probably count me as going already. Like I'm going to get counted because I, you know, just like just like there's you know three million developers or whatever it is well, on need, on their way to a hundred million developers. By the way, what we need is is how many are vendors, how many are customers, how many are well, they're all registered. It doesn't matter. Those are all registered attendees. Do we get that? Do we do we get the number breakout? Though? But they don't say how many people actually get to San Francisco and check in. I mean, that's that's a number they do not. Yeah, they, but they that's, that's marketing. You can't blame them for that. They're going to paint not, the best John, picture they can. I'm not blaming anything. I don't blame them for that. I'm just that. saying, when you say 150,000, you need to clarify what you mean. That's how many people registered at some point in time. No, they don't, because the only reason to announce the number is to say, look how awesome we are. I mean, that's, again, I turn it right back. This it's marketing. Of course they say that. for-profit company. They're not going to go, oh, well, here's how it breaks down. And in full disclosure, here's what, it, they're not politicians. Yeah. They're a company trying to make money. So they're going to paint the best picture but, they can, you know, and if that's 150,000 people registered, in quotes, because they want to make make it sound like that many people came, that, that's what they're going to do. You know, the hotels are a thousand bucks a night. All these companies are shutting down the bars and the restaurants so you can't even get into them. Um, that's unfortunate. You know, the Airbnbs are outrageous and they're across, you know, you can't even get one that's not across town. Uh, um, Jeremy, we should we should buy a place in San Francisco. And we'll make our money. I don't, I don't think you know how much places in San Francisco cost. We'll make our money off of Oracle. Yeah. Off of Salesforce. Um, who else does conferences out there? 
I'm, I'm sure there's some Comic Con thing out there. And really, the I mean, the main value. So one thing I learned after last year's Reinforce was that I shouldn't go to any sessions. Every I went to I don't know maybe half a dozen sessions, and every single one after it was done, I was like, ah, oh, that was a waste of my. Well, maybe with the exception of one or two, I, I felt like shouldn't have done that. That was a waste of time. I much would have rather been like trying to again find people that I was trying to meet up with there. I think I think you need to lower your <clears throat> lower. Well, I didn't know it was my first time. I didn't know what my expectations should be. And some people, I think, get a lot out of the sessions. I just personally, for me, it was like that. I didn't feel like that was where my time was best spent. I, I think if you're going to Dreamforce and you think you're going to get a lot of the sessions, look at the time that they have to and I'm, cover the topic. I was trying to engineer my schedule so I could like, you know, because, you know, one session would be on this one building. Another session would be in some <laughs> hotel that's six blocks that way. And you can get the bus. You can catch that shuttle bus they're running if you wanted to try to get on that thing. And then, and it was not even any faster. and. The, the, mo- the most valuable time of a session is 15 minutes before and probably about 15 minutes after mm. where you can have conversations right. with the people presenting, yeah. you know, casual conversations. My, my favorite session was, was the ones where the PMs were there and I could talk to them before and I could talk to them after. And, and the same thing with any other right. session out there. It was the 15 minutes before and the sure. 15 minutes after where I could actually talk and a- ask some really candid questions. That were the most valuable. And like, I, was, I felt like I was lucky last year. I got to um, go out to uh, Heroku, which is kind of just not too far down the road. And uh, met some other people and had some really interesting discussions. And, and that was, I mean, that, that blew away every session I went to combined times a thousand, right? Um, just being able to do stuff like that. So, so I did, th- I mean, I did think to myself, okay, if I, if I do go to this again, I don't think I'll want to do sessions. It just, um, so I've actually had the thought of, and this was even before I knew my press pass was denied, which, by the way, thanks, Salesforce. Appreciate the... The vote of confidence. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or just the, you know, the gratitude for what we do. I don't know. And um, I thought, well, maybe I'll just, maybe I don't even want to go to the conference. Maybe I'll just, I'll go. And you have a room, mm-hmm. right, that's already paid for it. And you said you didn't mind if I... We share the room, so I, you know, we, we, we might have to spoon, say, well, because that's kind of what I do in the morning. But <laughs> if if you don't mind me rolling over and spooning with you, we're good. I'm gonna ask for a partition to be installed in the bed if that's the case. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I mean, I, I could probably do it somewhat inexpensively just because of that. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I I'll, I'll go, but I don't even I'm not even going to go to Dreamforce. I'm not. I just don't even need to step foot in. And their buildings. And, and when you said that, I thought that that's the best idea ever. I just want to like go to San Francisco, meet with people, with people yeah. talk to people. Maybe, maybe, maybe not even, go to the conference. Maybe even do some work during the day, or like, or um, trying to interview some people, or just or or just consume some news, and maybe we could re- record little mini recordings or something, and and then at night we could do a good day, sir. Army meetup. Well, and that's the other thing. It's like you know, yeah, that would be that. That's that's really the the main reason why I would even want to go out to San Francisco for this event. So the fact that, and I'm not going to, I'm certainly not going to pay because I don't have a, an employer that pays for my Dreamforce pass and I'm not a partner who has free passes or discounts or whatever. I'm not going to pay 17. I'm not going to take $1,700 out of my, my bank account or my child's to education fund to, 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 go, to give it to Mark Benioff. Right. Who's a, you know, a triple billionaire off a company that doesn't make any money. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> um, and which makes me think, maybe I, I mean, what am I, why am I even doing this? Why, why are we even talking about Salesforce at this point? <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying you're going to go, but you're just going to be in the area? 
and we can we can we can start our no, organizing. I'm, no, I'm not saying I'm going to go. I'm just saying that was an idea. Was Jer- Jeremy's going to dream? Jeremy's going to be in San Francisco. I don't know. For I mean, Force again because it's it, again it's it's also the lost wages. Like I won't be able to make any money that week. Yeah, no one is. But people have salaries, okay? No, I don't mean the people attending. I mean customers are are kind of there. The, the ones that matter, the ones that pay. No, I'm just saying for there. me for me to go. I it's basically taking like one week unpaid leave. Well, cool. Make the most of it. Let's and it's a, just. Let's, I mean, let's, let's do a brewery tour of San Francisco. It just. I don't. I just don't see how it makes sense. If I'm going to take a week unpaid, you know, I'm going to be with my family or something. I'm not going to be with Mark Benioff. It just makes no sense. I mean, I've already promoted their company and made them way more money than what they actually, I guess, care to acknowledge or be gratitude, you know, gracious about. Okay. Here's my challenge. Good day, Sarah Army. Get on our Slack channel. And if you're not in our community, join the community and give us our top two reasons why Jeremy should go to Dreamforce. Not not Dreamforce and attend, but be in San Francisco yeah. during Dreamforce. Yeah. Give give me your top two reasons so that we can convince Jeremy. And also, I mean, I think last year I just I don't I don't want to speak for you, but I also decided like that podcast studio or whatever they had set up, I didn't want to do that again. So that's well, they, I'm not going to be missing that. I, th- I, I think they're going to have it this year again. I just they are, but I think they're going to change the format of it. It's not going to be this. F- from what I've seen of the, there's no pictures of it yet. But who's or um shoot, what's his name? Mike Gerholt. Gerholt. Gerholt is again. I, I think what he's doing is he's trying to take some lessons learned from some of the other conferences he's seen that's done podcasting. And I think he's going to try to incorporate this into this. So I think we might actually have access to a less noisy area, a place where we can actually do interviews. It won't, it won't be as public, but we'll be able to get better audio quality and things like that done. I, I've got the reason that Salesforce should <laughs> comp my past to Dreamforce. <laughs> and that's because I just sold my soul to the devil. And convinced a customer to buy one gigabyte of storage for three thousand dollars. I remember that, and that is that is incredible. What's another way to say? I just made Salesforce two thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and about seventy six cents. Yeah, well, that doesn't matter. You know why? <laughs> and John, none of it matters. That's that's my point. None of it matters. <laughs> Whatever I do for Salesforce does not matter. <laughs> you you want to know why it doesn't matter? Um. Because one of my customers actually uses Heroku, and uh, Heroku, Heroku, <laughs> and, and they use Heroku Connect. Okay, Heroku Connect, Hyderabad. No. And the the funny part is that they didn't know that it was an all or nothing thing, but at the time they made the decision to use Heroku Connect. Eh, they didn't, didn't realize it was what. That's fine. By the way, this is what I was looking for. It, it, Heroku. Heroku. <laughs> that it's an all or nothing thing. When you use Heroku Connect, you can't selectively decide what records get replicated over to Heroku. You can't say, I only want accounts of this record type, or oh, I only it. want <clears throat> contacts of this record type, or it's, I only want this custom object of this record type. It's, it's by object. Like, it's, it's all it's, accounts or no accounts. It's all accounts or no okay. accounts. And so every time you enable one of those accounts, everything gets replicated over. Nothing, the other problem so what that. happens yeah. is okay. okay please clap <laughs> <laughs> what happens is the way you pay for Heroku is you get a certain amount of 
records that you can replicate. Once you move beyond that point, you have to start paying more yeah. and more and more. And once you hit that limit, you have to start paying more. I didn't actually, it's I didn't, an all or nothing thing. This reminds me, I didn't even finish what I was going to say about this marketing cloud connect. It's a, it's an all yeah, marketing cloud still is exact target, still runs on Microsoft SQL servers. So yeah. it's using just the SOAP API and the replication API. And, and, and that is, and you that have is to, what Heroku is using. And you have to pay for those API calls. That Those count against your API calls. No, they don't. <laughs> yes, they, they do. Don't. They don't. I just had to look it up. It's, it's right there in the documentation. Okay, so Heroku Connect has... Okay. Maybe Heroku Connect that, doesn't. That, I don't know. That might Marketing. be true. But the big thing around Her- Heroku Connect was that it doesn't count. And it doesn't count. That sounds weird to say. It used to count because it was API access. And now it doesn't count. Because uh, six whatever months ago they they relaxed that limit yeah. and it doesn't count. Okay, the, and the, it it doesn't count because Heroku had to jump through some hoops to on the way they replicated information. They had to actually prove that they weren't going to, you know, arbitrarily screw the system. Well, with okay. their replication. So they this is my problem with Heroku. They basically got certified. God, Heroku me, got certified. This I've been trying to say this sentence for ten minutes. This is my problem with Heroku Connect. It's not just a distributed transaction system. It's, no, it's not. It's a Postgres database. It is. It's replicated. It is an, it, yeah, it's, it's an offline, out of, like, out, it's not offline. It's an out of process, um, out, outside of transaction, f- like frequency based um, synchronization algorithm. It's not even a true replication. And it, and it tries to de- yeah. detect conflicts. No, it's not replication. It's, it's, it's not. It's synchronization. We're, we're using so, replication. But it's erroneous so because is, it's it's really an, an integration. Go ahead. <laughs> I see your face. No, just, You're like, I'm trying uh, to say something no. and you keep talking. It, it, it's synchronization. So what happens is your systems may start out perfectly in sync. You got Salesforce, you got your Heroku Postgres. And then they, they drift out of sync. Mm-hmm. And then later the th- synchronization runs. And maybe it's every 60 seconds, maybe it's every 10 minutes. I, I actually don't know what the interval is, but it is interval based. And then this synchronization thing tries to bring them back together. But you could because this because it doesn't run inside Salesforce transactions, you could have both sides update the same account, right? Now you got to figure out which one wins, and that's when they have the, there's a there is an algorithm that tries to figure out what the best thing to do is. And and honestly, I mean, I really don't know what happens if it decides it can't. Hopefully, it bails and puts that in some kind of queue, like a manual review queue. But so, so here's here, here's the thing that might make everyone cringe, and this is this is from someone technical at Heroku. The first replication routine happens through the streaming API. Yeah. So they, they utilize the streaming API of information to replicate information, but then they also have a backup process that will go through and make sure everything is, is actually in sync because mm-hmm. streaming API is a fire, fire hose mode. If, if it goes down, you miss a transaction. Right. So they, they actually they have to have a backup process. But for the most part, most of your transactions are based on the streaming API, so it's it's trying to replicate as real time as it can. Well, because Salesforce doesn't have any what's considered like reliable messaging, right? That, that I know of anyway, because the streaming API doesn't implement like reliable messaging. So it's well, I mean, in a perfect world, to be Oracle replication transactions, it would be true, freaking database level transactions. Well, but, but to Heroku, Heroku, it's not it's not Heroku on Oracle. It's it's uh, it's Postgres, right? Well, and, and with this, I'm just saying with exact, I'm just saying it would be true target, database replication. No, I, I agree. Well, it would be transactional based. Right, there would be a log of yes. transactions that they could replay and make sure everything made it over. Yes. But that's not what's happening. Right. It's it, two separate companies 
with data centers that are probably on the other side of the right country. Well, and, I mean, I it's know. Amazon. Heroku uh, right. is Amazon. And Salesforce is, Salesforce is not in Amazon. Heroku is. Well, yet. So what I'm saying is, though, that's you're talking about doing transactions across data centers, which, which theoretically could be possible. I, again, you know, I mean, one thing, and this is, again, what we're talking about, and maybe this is not a bad thing, and maybe there's just not a good solution to this. I mean, Salesforce is very concerned about performance and how long transactions take and all that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of that's for your own good, not necessarily for Salesforce. So good. Like, they want fast transactions so that you don't have someone, you know, that requested a page that's just sitting there. And, and, and having built hundreds of integrations, Salesforce API is actually pretty good. SQL syntax is pretty good. Ooh. Considering the alternative. I mean, Sock- okay, okay, let integrate me, wait, wait. with Jira. Tell, tell me how you integrate with Jira and Jira. you query something in Jira. <laughs> query. <laughs> that thing is a piece of crap. Well, it's a database, isn't it? It is, but the API doesn't support that. The API is very, it, it, it is crap. I've tried. It sucks. It's well, again, tough. Again, this is the problem if, with... If, you, if the, you're paying for someone who does Jira integrations for you, pay them this and is thank the, them this for is the it problem with it this is Stop. This is the problem with multi-tenant over multi-instance. They can't let you run true SQL. SQL is a thousand times more powerful than SQL is. Multi-instance is, is a fallacy anyways. Huh? Uh, I'm sorry. On-premise is a fallacy. Okay. That the fact that, that you're running the database locally and you can do stuff to the database from a back-end perspective is a fallacy because then you're bypassing that, that security layer. You're bypassing the security layer. You're bypassing the, the logic and, layer. And what is it called when I have an integration user that has access to everything? Is that not bypassing the security layer? No, because it's still going through all those layers just under the context of, at, of a approved at, admin. At, at what point... At what point, what security checks are happening if I'm going in as an integration user that's got access to everything? You can still clone the system admin. You can still make you an admin, mm-hmm. but still take away permissions from you. Or not give you permissions, because everything is inclusive, not exclusive. But I don't have to. I mean, you, don't. I, you can give someone, you know, you can give your integration user full access. I'm True, not but that's it's a good still idea. going through a code-based logic layer, not directly to the database, right. which means Salesforce, well, you can, okay. that's where Salesforce control lies. It's an it, Salesforce control lies in all those layers they put in between you and the Oracle database. Otherwise, they lose control and it becomes Oracle's responsibility. Yeah, well, they can't even give you SQL access. Well, they're not going to. Right. Right. Because they may be able to trust you and I with with creating SQL statements, but they can't trust the world making SQL statements. I mean, talk about SQL injection hacks. Well, could you not have SQL injection attacks? No. Why is that? I mean, they, they've put enough layers in between that. Well, the reason is because SQL can't affect I mean, data. tell me one instance right. where someone has, has been able to do that. They've put enough layers in there that you can't. Well, you'll, you, you probably will not hear of the, of um, whether it's customer's fault or Salesforce's fault. You're, you're, you're not going to hear about Salesforce like security breaches. Granted. But it, it, it's They're just probably difficult. not going to make the light of day. It's extremely difficult. I mean, that's one thing they've yeah, done really well. I totally agree. Is protect their database. Right. But but because of that, we ca- I can't do things like um, I can't do a I can't do a deployment that has that includes a SQL script that migrates my data to a, an evolved data structure. True. Right. And if something goes wrong, I can't I can't have a script that just rolls it back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's just again, this is this is so it's so far behind like modern cloud computing. I I, th- I think the this is a 
theory I've been forming over time. And have you heard of the, um, oh crap, what is it called? What's it called when, when something looks human, but it's not really human. You can tell. Uncanny Valley. Uncanny Valley. Valley. That's what Salesforce has created. Salesforce has created the Uncanny Valley. It's like, kind of looks like cloud, but it's not. <laughs> well, no, it kind of looks like a database where you can do SQL. It's the Uncanny Cloud. It kind of looks like code where you can write and do oh, come things. Come on, you got to laugh at that. What? The Uncanny Cloud. The Uncanny Cloud. We're, <laughs> we're naming it here. It's the Uncanny Cloud show title. Yeah. This will be called the Uncanny Cloud. I will fight for it. Okay. How's, that, how's that whiskey, John? <laughs> Um, it's good. I haven't had any in a while. Really? I'm, I've been out at home okay. and I've been pouring it liberally. <laughs> Title. You're getting honest, John. <clears throat> okay. So tell me what, what you think is uncanny this about is Goatee Salesforce. John. This is not an MVP Goatee John. Okay. I'm the evil John right now. <laughs> Goatee's Salesforce has created the uncanny valley. Okay. Because right. they've, they've created something that's so close to to real technology. They've created this, <laughs> they've created SQL, which is it. kind of like SQL, but it's not. It's a virtual SQL. Yeah. They created a programming language that's kind of like Java, but it's not Java. And it's the uncanny valley of programming. And, and, like SOC- and because of which, <laughs> we expect it to look and act like these languages, like a SQL database, like a relational database, like a Java programming environment or even c sharp programming environment you remember beware the false cloud beware the false cloud beware the false that was, that was damn good advice yeah it was they have created the uncanny valley of programming yeah and i really you know i really hope they're working on something i can tell you it's a time and money problem and when time and money is involved you, you kind of know what you're going to get. Well, and I, you, you can't help but just go back to this. Like it, it feels like they really got themselves into a pickle with the outdated, not only just the UI, but really the whole stack. And like, I mean, how many how many resources are going into reengineering the UI, reengineering low in the lower parts of the stack? I, I think, and I this think... is they're in uncharted territory. Like, I'm not taking. I'm not saying this is easy, right? I mean, what they did was um, at the time was. They weren't the first cloud. They weren't the first cloud competing. Who was that? It was Netsuite. Netsuite was before uh, before Salesforce. Six months before. Um, but certainly they uh, they became the poster child pretty quickly of, of SaaS. Sure. And I certainly don't take that away from them. I think they did a lot of good things early on, and they made a, they had the, some right people early on. But they were very successful, and now here it is, sixteen years later, and they've still got a lot of the same underpinnings. And and once you've got tens of thousands of customers on this that have built. What do they say? A million apps or something like that, or five million apps, whatever whatever an app is. <laughs> a drop down for really? some tabs. They say they have two million developers, so that's a developer per app. I no, I know. It's don't really don't don't look behind the curtain, John. It's not pretty. Um But yeah, how do you I mean, how do you literally how do you evolve that system without causing pain, without people having to redo a bunch of their it, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any great solution to share that would solve make their pain less i mean i don't i don't i don't know that i could have you know <laughs> who who's done it better who has built what they built and managed this kind of transition in a way that's better than what we're seeing from salesforce so far no one well no one's built something like this before so first of all right 
Well, okay, so so someone has tried and they failed. And I'll, I'll use Microsoft as an example. Microsoft at one point decided all of their applications would be able to work together. But it was this crappy way of getting it to work together. It was this kind of faux integration. It wasn't really native. So, so think about, um, uh, what was it? Microsoft Project. Okay. And getting it to work with uh, it was something else. What was it? We, we, you and I tried to do this, and it was this kind of faux fake integration. Like yeah. they said, it was like this native thing that would work. But when we tried it, it was this kind of it, really. It, it was project, and what's their what was their terrible like CMS system called? Yeah, I think that's um, what it was. What is that called? I don't remember. It's 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 every like every company runs it. It's huge. Um, SharePoint, SharePoint, SharePoint. That's yes, what it was. SharePoint. <laughs> it was SharePoint was going to unite the world of Microsoft applications, and it was this crappy yeah interface that that somehow it had this lag and it had this kind of collision thing that happened and errors and things it just wasn't a true integration and of course this was this was a good 10 years ago but that was that was a low point for sharepoint it, it was but i mean that that was that was sales that was microsoft's future yeah, right this was how this thing was going to yeah. work and it was crappy so a lot of people are saying that salesforce is kind of going down that road that you know, it's inevitable as they get bigger, as they grow, as they acquire to grow. Their technologies are more desperate and disparate, desperate. Oh, disparate. Disparate. Yeah, okay. Got to get the E instead yeah, of the I. Slightly different word. <laughs> or I instead of the E. <laughs> that they're not going to work together. Yeah. As much as they want to say they work together, they're truly still standalone applications. Yep. Truly still standalone products. And they're not going to work the way you expect them to. And when Salesforce started, I think, you know, multi-tenant, the idea, which was still kind of new, but it's like, I don't, Salesforce didn't invent multi-tenancy, but... Um, well, there's they, a big debate on that. Well, on, well, not debate, but on the value of multi-tenant versus multi... Multi-instance. Multi-instance? Yeah. Well, no, I, I the think... Net, the NetSuite route. NetSuite took the route of multi-instance. You could run it either in their cloud, or you can install it in your local... Your data center. Really? Well, I'm just saying... Technically, because it, they were they were standing up a new instance. I think they were creating a new database. Well, they they were, you. but the idea that that you had your own instance meant that you could technically run it yourself. Well, if they gave you what you needed to run it, but they I, I don't think they do that. But no, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of interesting discussion around multi, like modern multi instance the way that um um oh, what was that company we were talking about last week? Uh, not ServiceNow. Was it ServiceNow? Maybe. Or um, ServiceNow sounds familiar. Anyway, I think that's who it was. Um, they're doing really cool stuff with multi-instance. And the way that you customize and build on their platform is, it, it, it looks really nice. And, you know, 16 years ago when Salesforce started, did, did they have tools to manage multi-instance in a cloudy way? No, they didn't. I mean, it was the NetSuite thing where they were like, someone's like, hey, Go rack a new server. You know, we just signed up a new company. You know, a new customer, <laughs> right? Um, nowadays, it's complete. It's everything's automated. It's all virtual machines, but it's still. But you still get your own instance technically, and the way they manage them, it's like, um, they still have tools to manage all the upgrades, everything. But you actually have control over when you get upgraded, so it can be to your schedule. 
So because right now in Salesforce, like if let's say um, you have a let's say you have a customer who is a um what's what's a real event based thing um oh goodness who let's say you have a customer who makes um, voting machines right and Salesforce wants to do an upgrade on like some voting weekend or whatever right you have that's just something you're gonna have to live with. Right, and this is that's the, this is the well, Salesforce world. This is the multi-tenant world. I mean, there's benefits it's, to multi-tenancy. It's funny that you bring politics into it because I didn't mean to. I was just trying to think of an example. I didn't mean to, but it's almost inevitable. When, when it comes to multi-instance, it's almost like this is the system for the greater good, regardless of you know economic equality or whatever. You're all paying for the same exact system. GE gigantic corporation or Exxon or well, Exxon owns, owns mobile, whatever big name corporation you could think of that's using Salesforce. They're using the same system that anyone else is using who has the same license. Not if they're on an HP Superpod. Regardless of that, no one's using HP <laughs> I, Superpod. I know. Tell me. <laughs> I don't think they sold one of those. Someone tell me, <laughs> please, anyone in the Good Day Star Army who knows Someone who's using the, the HP Superpod, please tell me, because I want to know. I think it's like a Bigfoot. There have been sightings, but no, nothing confirmed. I don't think anyone... It, it's, it's a UFO. Yeah, I guess. Hey, UFOs exist, man. Did you have to get, like, probed? <laughs> that's that's the question. The HP Superpod? That's the, what you would want to know. <laughs> so, so aside from the, from the Superpod, everyone is using the same technology. They're under the same rules. They're under the same governor limits. There are companies they're, they're who sharing are the, struggling. They're sharing the same CPU cycles and, and query optimizers and, data, yes. and database servers. There are companies right? who are struggling to use Salesforce within the limits. And their data requirements are huge. Their processing requirements are huge. But they're forced to live within this level playing field. And, and the thing about So it, Salesforce is actually kind of that level playing field of technologies. We're all doing the same thing. We're yeah, all living under right. the same limits. It's like if, if it's like if you made um, all race car drivers buy the exact same race car. The Chevy Corolla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, no, they were all, they, they all give you like 1976 Pentos. This is what you have to drive. Oh my God. That's, that's, that's not even fair. <laughs> you have to drive this car. Hey, but, but we're going to give you all the exact same one. Actually, you know, it's a good an- analogy because the, the problem with the, was it the Pinto or the Nova where the gas tank was like outside of the frame? So if you like back end it, it would explode. The, I think the, it was the Nova. The gas tank was in a, a small two-wheel two no, trailer. It was the Pinto. I think it was the Pinto because the, the, the only reason Nova failed was because outside markets like South America, Nova meant no-go. Uh, Nova. Nova. Doesn't run. I think it was the Pinto that, that the, the gas tank was on the outside of the frame. And if you like smash into it, it it could potentially explode. And see, this is why I'm not completely anti-regulation. Some regulations are good. <laughs> Gas tanks should be with inside the frame. They they should. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we've been on just this has been rat hole city yeah, tonight. Let's get to quip. I want to talk about quip. Oh, okay. What are we on time? I mean, we're just, we're not going to come close to even getting to anything. But that's okay. Okay, let's do quip. It's right. been my dream to work closely with let Brett me, Taylor. Let me do one follow. <laughs> Did you know up. that? <laughs> Let me do one follow-up oh, before quip? one follow-up before oh quip. Gosh. It's really quick, I promise. 
So the episode before last, our review was Pretty Rad Bro, Pretty Rad Babe. We now know who that is. Okay. That is Paul Battison. Oh, it was Paul. It was Paul. You know what? He made some comment the other day about um, something about, he, it made him realize that he didn't know what his iTunes username was or whatever. And I, was, and I thought to myself, oh, wow, I wonder if he left a review and I wonder which one was his then. It was him. Okay, cool. All right. And I'm, if we get to it, I actually, um, I, I grabbed several of his um, messages that I wanted to cover, but it was related to... Um, Let's get uh, to it now. Drill. No, no. You've already whined and bitched about not getting to quip, and then I jump into it with my big line about quip, and then you pull me back and say, no, we're not doing quip yet. No, I don't. So I we're don't doing care. quip. I don't we're care. doing quip. I don't care about quip because I, I, we have one new review that I want to get to. So you vamp while I find that review. <laughs> vamp. Okay. Reviews are well, important. My, uh, let's, let's talk about what I'm not going to get into. Well, we talked about uh, LinkedIn's quarter. I wanted to talk about uh, what makes good code and documentation, and that was based on one of Craig's... Uh, uh, comments. He also had another some some good things. I wanted to talk about uh, in relation to another Salesforce podcast he was listening to. Let's see, uh, we we'll probably won't get to the new Trust Beta site. We'll talk about Salesforce uh, strong armor, strong arming everyone with new contracts. Totally we could have gone into a big rat hole in the cost of storage. Eh, we all know that. Yeah, but there's there's details. There's not anyway. details. It's layers of. Stuff in between you and the database. It's not like plugging. Plug yeah, but those in. those layers are a already paid for. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Adding more storage to that doesn't make those other layers more expensive. It's not like you're saying here. Here's more bits to store stuff on. There you go. There's a whole no, security layer on top of that that has to be accounted for. It's already built. It's a pay. It's a it's a sunk cost. It's not a sunk cost. Yes, it is. For every user that comes on, that's a new cost. I'm not to talking about new that. users. You're assuming those users don't even use the damn system. Three quarters of them don't even use Salesforce. I'm assuming, yes, that every freaking user, because you have to pay for every user, is using the system and it's going to thus incur well, cost. You are so wrong. I can't even have this conversation with you then. If, well, you, then if, you, if you think every user <laughs> it's uses a good the system. thing we're not covering it then because I disagree. <laughs> How about that? Okay, whatever. <laughs> I found the review, by the way. All right, let's do the review. All right, so this review is from uh, M.G. Smith, New Jersey, which I'm assuming is Michael Smith. Okay. Longtime fan. Inner community. Could be Mary Smith. It's See, true. This is, your, this is your gender bias. You assume it's a man. That's great. <laughs> this I'm is not a safe space, John. No, it's You're not. You're violating my safe space. All right, review. All right, so. <laughs> Too much whiskey. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, I've been stressed all day. I know. I'm tired know. and I've been stressed, and this, this is, is my first chance uh, to sit and relax this and is have your, a this is our, fun conversation. This listen, is fun for me. This is our weekly therapy, even though Salesforce doesn't appreciate it. <laughs> I'm having a great time, by the way. All right. All right. Let's so, Michael Smith, or I'm sorry, MG Smith. I'm not going to make assumptions that it's Michael. But M.G. Smith says, pure Salesforce joy. Oh. Joy. I've been through many Salesforce podcasts over the years, but this is hands down the best. Wow. Always insightful discussions on development and the business of Salesforce.com. Without any of the fanboy stuff, they tell it like it is. End review. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm good at taking compliments because it's, uh, I don't know. 
But that's, that's very flattering when people say something. Would you rather like if you say Jeremy sucks? But I almost I almost don't believe. I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe because um, <laughs> I was like, really? How could we possibly be the best podcast? That's <laughs> like that's impossible. But I, I appreciate I appreciate the sentiment, and uh, it it's always feels good to, to hear some gratitude since it's sure as hell is not going to come from Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, gratitude in exchange for for monetization. How about that? Yeah. Um, I'll ask my mortgage company about it. John just spit his whiskey. <laughs> I'm kind of short this month. Could you take some gratitude? <laughs> Here, I printed these reviews. What are they? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I, I've been drunk on many a podcast, but this is the first one where I'm just well, like, I don't care. The, the, yeah, you're actually not doing a very good job of hiding the fact that I'm you're drunk. Not. <laughs> In this episode, I don't care that you guys can see that I'm fairly plastered because it's been a long week. Everything was due today and I somehow got it done and was able to do demos and produce. At this point, I'm like, screw it. Yeah. I'm having fun. Right. Uh, so let's get to Quip because oh. Quip is pissing me off. Okay. Quip. So this, this is the one. Okay. So the, the, the CEO's name is Brett Taylor and, and Benioff says, that's kind of funny because you know what that reminds me of? Because I have the exact quote here. But here's what it reminds me of. It is absolutely my dream and I'm dedicated. Okay. To getting to 10 billion. Now, apparently he's re- revising history because now it's been my dream to work closely with Brett Taylor. You can't have two dreams. That's against the rule of dreams. You can have more than one dream. No, I made it. I made my own list of rules of dreams, and you cannot. That's. I dream one day I can fly like a like a Pegasus, like a My Little Pony. No, a Pegasus. <laughs> okay. I want to be a unicorn, but have wings, and I want to fly. <clears throat> that's whiskey talking, by the so way. So I did not know much about Quip. I've never used it. It's like a Google Doc type of thing. I don't even know if that's a fair characterization. No, it's not. Okay, it's not Google Doc. Do not classify as that. I said type thing. I'm trying. I'm trying to just paint a. Very broad, if not slightly inaccurate picture of what Quip is. Well, you, that, you, that was like? my impression. Your impression is what my impression was. But from, from what I understand, it was what? collaboration, communication around documents. But the only live document feature they offered was spreadsheets. Listen, all I know is I, I read the Forbes article. So that's what I know about Quip. Oh, well, screw you. Well, then. you know what they say you about got Forbes. Information Any monkey from with, Forbes? with a set of lipstick on their pig lips can write from Forbes. <laughs> yeah, pig lips. You got your information from Forbes. There um, you go. Okay. I'm going to try to keep us on the rails here. Um, I, I, I grabbed some quotes that just were interesting. So Quip is a collab- collaborative productivity suite intended to be the next generation of what Microsoft Office was in the previous generation. No, that was Google Docs. And you know, but, but honestly, what I got to be honest about that is, you know what the next generation of, of what Microsoft Office used to be? You know what the next generation of that is? Office Google. 365. Well, no, Google Docs. No, they never, then, Google Docs never came close. Well, not, it, yes, it did. No, it's... Come on, you're the one even... You, you've been telling me this for three years that Docs is not good enough and Office 365 is way better. It isn't, but Office Office 365 is trying to be Google Docs. It's trying to be Office. Well, they're, they're trying it's to... It's trying to merge Office yes. with, with Google Docs and tra- it's doing a great job at right, it, they're trying to take the, the functionality of Office combining with the collaborative... Collaborability? Is that a word? Full Collaborativeness full of Google Docs. Full disclosure, I pay for Office 365. I love it. I even pay for someone else to have Office 365 because it's awesome. Yeah. Microsoft <clears throat> historically knows how to do documents and spreadsheets. 
love or hate them, they've that's what they built their company around. Yeah. Office and they kill. And and I like Google Docs. I use the hell out of Google Docs, but it's not an office replacement. I mean, for some tasks. I mean, I'm just saying you can't say it's a complete office replacement. It's not. Right. For a lot of things, it is. And honestly, for the most of the types of documents that I would have written anyway, it is actually a pretty good replacement for it. Yeah. But it still doesn't come close. Yeah. I mean, well, but then again, I'm the person who's always said that I haven't used, I haven't used a feature that was added to Microsoft Word since like Word, like 1988, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, most people might make that argument. I need, I need font size. I need bullet italics and a table of contents. And that's, I'm good. For most people, the features they need have already been implemented. Everything else has kind of been and still, fluff thing. Like 98% of people don't even use Word right. Like they'll have every single sentence and paragraph is a one-off style change instead of defining styles. Eh. You know? Like you would, like a sane person why, would. Why are you defining styles for every paragraph though? No, you don't. That's what I'm saying. You, you, you define your document styles and then... That's gross. Okay, I don't think you know, even know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to skip that. No, I do know what you're talking about. So what you're saying, what I'm drawing the analogy, uh, here's a, here's an here's an analogy. Doing CSS instead of having a, a CSS separate file where you define rules, CSS rules. Yes. Instead of doing that, you just have like inline CSS everywhere over everything. There's no there's no CSS, right. but you don't use any classes, you don't use any rules or anything. Instead of defining something as a quote, they go through and modify the styling for that paragraph. Yeah, to every, make it look like a, a quote, right? Right. Instead of yeah. just saying this is a quote, right? Anyway, this is besides the point. Uh, here's another interesting thing. This, uh, I guess, their co-founders, which was who were Brett and some dude named something Gibbs, wrote that uh, their startup, Quip and Salesforce, quote, share the same philosophy about software, unquote, that it should be built with mobile phones in mind. Primed for right. these social interactions and and using cloud computing, and the interesting thing I, about that was I, there's been a big in the in the professional and a productivity um, business software space. There's been a big pullback from mobile. Um, I've heard, and I can't think of the names right now. I wish I could. Um, like major CEOs that have s- talked about how they're uninstalling email from their phone, and all this kind of stuff, because it's such a they just have like zero balance in their life, and it becomes uh, unproductive. And besides, I don't care how good your phone is. Doing email on phone sucks. Yeah. I mean, just give me a Mac, right? That's what I need for pretty much everything I need to do. I mean, I'll use the browser on my phone. Of, you know, I use Evernote a little bit. I use the browser if I need to look something up quick. But it's, it's not a great experience. And, Jeremy, and, 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 Jeremy, I, I, know, thought, I, I thought know. Salesforce was API first, not mobile first. Well, don't get me started on that because I can lay out a case why they're not API first. But now they're mobile first. <clears throat> Or is it social first now? Oh, that's right. It's now social. Or, 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 yeah, I guess so. Um, customer first. It's now customer first. That's what it is. Right. That makes a lot. I know exactly what that means. I know exactly what that means. Customer first. Of course I don't. No, my point is no one knows what that means. That's one of those things that quality is number one. Like who the hell knows? Who, who the hell knows how to apply <laughs> that to their job? Customer first is a warm and fuzzy for customers. Anyway, I just, I question that whole wisdom of the whole, you know, oh, it's with mobile first in mind. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of pullback from mobile. Why does something have to be first? Why can't it just be, we value API, we value mobile, we support that. Why does it have to be first? Because it implies everyone else is second and you're, and you're, uh, and you're beating them or something. I don't know. But people are saying Salesforce is going after Microsoft with this quip 
That's I, agree or agree or disagree, John De Santiago. Disagree. It's stupid. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Quip offers collaboration on spreadsheets. The only live doc thing they implemented is spreadsheets. I looked it. I, I looked it up because I, I was like, "What is what is this thing about?" Yeah, it's collaboration and spreadsheets. Okay. It's not documents. Oh, no docs. It's not storage. Okay. It's not anything that Google Docs offers. It's Have you ever heard of smart sheets? It's not anything that offer that offer Office offers. <laughs> it's not anything that Office offers, Ossifer. Whoo. <laughs> 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 Yeah, I I don't know. Salesforce, I, I think Microsoft has, is becoming a big problem for Salesforce. I don't know if this is necessarily... No, I, it's not. They, you don't think Microsoft's becoming a problem for Salesforce? No. Okay. They shouldn't be competing with Microsoft. Well, they have this thing called Dynamics. They have this thing called Office 365. And Dynamics Wait, is, well, Hang on, hang on, hang on. They have this thing called Office 365, which is absolutely embedded in every big company in the world. And they have integrations with Office. <clears throat> And they have integrations with the Office 365. And they have integrations, a whole new Outlook integration that they're touting. Yeah, because who, that's the only thing that about? matters. What are you talking about? Who has integrations? Salesforce. Yeah, but we all know how well integrations work. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Marketing matters. Well, that's true. Because that's what they're going to sell you on is the marketing. I, I, I agree. Oh, and, and from a business perspective, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on marketing. How many the marketing is yeah, right. I know. The marketing around Outlook and their integration with Outlook is perfect. It's right on. If there's one thing that Salesforce is extremely good at, it's they're successful at painting the picture that they envision. Crap. What? Who'd, who, who did I give the gold star to? I gave it to accounting. Yeah, Salesforce accounting. Well, now I got to give gold star to marketing. Oh, yeah. They're freaking awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> Salesforce is a marketing company. We'll just say that. And I they get the double gold star. I also want to give a gold star to the guys that built the guys and um, by that, I mean the generic term guys and gals that built the original APIs for Salesforce. Oh, the API built it. The, the XML RPC and the SOAP APIs. Look, I'm going to give those guys a gold star. Guys and gals. SOAP. Yeah. SOAP built Salesforce. It, I mean, well, I say built it. I mean, it was. Oh, come on. It was one of the. Come on. It was one of the most. 13 years ago, mm. we started building Salesforce solutions. 14 probably for you. And it was nothing more than a configurable system where you can add fields to a database. And put well, there, them on there a page There was no layout. SOAP API when I started. Oh, shit. There was XML RPC. Oh, my God. You're older than me. Yeah. I think I started like on XML RPC version 2 is wow. what it was. Okay. So when I started, there was a SOAP API. Okay. And that's what built it. Because when, when Salesforce was trying to sell Salesforce and someone said, can you do this? Their sales team had to go, No. But you can get it to do that with the API. Right. You can do you can do workflow processing with the API. You can do hey, we you can have do a, database we, replication with the API. We, we have an API, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Even though that's how we And that's it. where Jeremy and I made our money was the whatever you want no, part. We, we made our money embedding uh, JavaScript co- tags into uh, into field labels <laughs> and page layouts. Well, okay. So Jeremy and I Made our money on oh well we whatever did, you want we did and some, hacks. <laughs> we did so, some dirty things. So we did some <laughs> some dirty hacks and some whatever you want with the API. 
<clears throat> that was our business model. <laughs> and we did okay. Yeah. We're still doing it. Man. 12, 10, 13 years later. See, so, okay. Still doing I want to get back to the Microsoft thing because I don't think that Salesforce is going after Microsoft. I think they're trying to defend against Microsoft. I don't we, think we got, any of that. I think that's what the that's what the marketing is doing. That's what that's what media is doing. What who what media is doing this? I haven't heard of this. I'm just oh telling my, you what I what I God, have you no, not seen the articles on Quip? Yes, they're saying Salesforce is going after Microsoft. Now I disagree Salesforce with that. Salesforce is going after Microsoft. This is this is the thing that's allowing them to compete with Microsoft. And and I'm using that tone intentionally because it's stupid. It's oh shoot, that's a Quip could not and is not and cannot compete with Microsoft. No way, hands down. So to say that that the Quip purchase is a direct competition with Microsoft or even Google Docs is asinine. It was a purchase to make headlines for some technology around spreadsheets, and that's all. Okay. Because they had collaboration covered with Chatter. They had collaboration around documents with Chatter. They had collaboration, period. So why is there one use Slack? Because their collaboration sucks. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> um, okay. I have another quote it's here. It's not best to breed. I'm, I'm like, I have another quote I want to talk about. Here's the quote. Lightweight integrations with collaboration and document management players will no longer cut it. The lightweight integrations, which is actually what I was talking about a minute ago. Instead, Salesforce competitors will have to partner with or acquire other collaboration or document management technologies. Because the, the, what they're saying here is that Salesforce is going to take Quip and integrate it into everything, just like they integrated the Marketing Cloud and the Sales Cloud. Oh, oh yeah. no, wait, no, I mean actually integrated. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I was sorry. confused there. Yeah. Actually integrated into the core of Salesforce so that you have just embedded, like, you know, natively, um, all this, you know, collaborative document editing capability. And if NetSuite wants to compete with Salesforce, if Infor or Info, what are they called? If Oracle wants to compete with Salesforce, they're going to have to also acquire some kind of collaborative document management player in order to compete. Okay, I, I agree with your assessment. Marker. Uh, don't worry about it. I'm going to have to... <laughs> it's going to take me three hours to edit this. <laughs> So since we're talking about Microsoft, I pulled a uh, a press release. This is from 1998. Um, let me see if I can shorten this. So today, Microsoft announced uh, record revenue and income for the year that ended. Blah blah blah. Um, the revenues of this is uh, let's see, was this uh, uh, annual revenue for 14.5 billion dollars net net income? This is before Palmer. I mean, this is before he was CEO. Net income of four income, John. This is after all the non-GAAP bullshit, everything else. All bills paid. Net income to shareholders, $4.5 billion. Uh, a great year for all of our major products was capped by strong initial results from Windows 98. In particular, enthusiasm for Office 97, blah, blah, blah. Um, so this was a, yeah, this was annuals, their annual report from Microsoft 12 years, 12 years after they went public. Salesforce's uh, next quarter will look very similar, except for one very big difference. They will lose tens of millions of dollars. So we got two similar companies compared at 12 years post-IPO. Which one do you think is going to be around in 10 years? I don't have any doubt Salesforce will be around. Okay. This is why I say they haven't proven their business model. They, ha they haven't. 
but so many people haven't. Look at Tesla. They haven't proven their business model. I feel like that's a major straw man, though. Headphones on. John is back. <laughs> now, my, my point was that, um, and I, I saw some commentary on this, which really kind of crystallized for me, but Salesforce is not coming after Microsoft. You know, that'd be like, uh, that'd be like, I don't know, me coming after, you know, the Chuck Liddell, the MMA fighter. Like, he's, he's really not going to be that scared by that, you know? <laughs> um, anyway. I like to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, I, how can, how could Quip possibly compete with Office 365? I don't know. They had like 40 employees. But again, I hadn't really used their thing very much. You know, Google Docs has been around since 2005, I think. Um, Zoho as well. Had you, you ever use Zoho? Mm-mm. No. I've seen people do really cool stuff with Zoho. It's for incredibly cheap. Um, not, it's not really, I don't think it's really enterprise scale, but if you're a small, medium business, you can. You can do some cool stuff with Soho. But, I mean, I don't think Soho or Google Docs has made big inroads with, with um, big companies. I mean, just still, Office is very entrenched. I don't know. I, I, think, <clears throat> I think when you're talking small and mid-sized companies, they've signed on with Google. I, I don't think, you don't see a lot of companies with over, say, 10,000 employees that are big Google Docs shops. No, because they can, they can afford the... Microsoft license. It's not even about affording. It's just the pain of switching. Like, why would you even switch? I mean. I guess that's true. There's the legacy aspect. Yeah. But I mean, so Office, even, yeah. even within that, people are using Google Docs. Another factor, though, Office 365 was released for iOS, was, was released in 2014. And in just those two years, Microsoft's gone from a no-show on the cloud computing platform to basically having a $10 billion annual run, run rate. And that, that's and by 2020, this is their cloud. This is their cloud revenue. Like 2020, they're supposed to be at, at 20 billion. So, so, so here's what I see: is that it within enterprise, it was Microsoft because they had all the licensing. Everyone needed Office. That was the platform that everyone used to share and communicate information. But at some point, people wanted to collaborate, and they wanted to collaborate real time. Instead, they started using their personal accounts or even their, their, their official email accounts to sign up for Google. And they were using that within individual teams. But now those companies have an official path to do those same things. And that's with Office 365. Hmm. Yeah. And so now it's like it's a, this officially sanctioned way of collaborating right. on live documents. I mean, if this, if this enables people to not be emailing around a, a Word document that's called Product requirements, well, final dash final two dash final three dash final four dot doc. <laughs> then I'm happy, right? Well, officially. Uh, so so here here's the thing: on big enterprise, you have a lot of hidden things going on. You have a lot of departments who are finding ways to work better, to be more productive, and one of those ways was Google Docs. It was. Yeah. Here's a link to this document that we're all collaborating on. Here's a link to a document that, that has all the edits and revisions and everything that everyone's working on at one time. And they were doing that today. And then Office, Office 365 comes along, and now they have an official supported right. from the company. Because they weren't supposed to be that. using Google Docs. Right, they weren't supposed and, to be doing that. That was violation. No, and a lot of people I've, I've asked to use Google Docs on because I'm, I hate 
emailing around documents. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, no, you, we can't. We cannot right. even use Google. They would, they, it's just a non-starter. Even if it was mine, I said, listen, I'll create it and I'll share it. No, no, that's a way, you know, we'll get fired. Right. <laughs> and that, that's a credit to Microsoft's legacy, to the fact that they had this, this in with companies, with, with companies that have built this proprietary culture around technology. Yeah. That there, that there was a so, way a, now a mono, to officially. A culture. Right. right. There's, there, there, now there's a, an official way to do that yeah. within the company. We're we're really long. Do we, do you want to talk about? I mean, because I thought it was really interesting. This article that was um, the title was "Why You Need Trailhead Badges to Get Your Next Salesforce oh, yes, Job." Please. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, please. Let's talk I, about I that. mean, it, such such I think uh, wise words were said in our Slack channel. I'm just going to go through some of these. Well, it's okay. It's a couple of things from the article. Uh, it was a blog post, I guess. So here's the claim: employers employers need to know if their new hires have the practical knowledge to successfully manage a Salesforce instance. Certifications just don't do the trick. Bullshit. Trailhead super badges are project-based. Bullshit. Yeah. And if, 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 trailhead, if, if trailhead badges uh, approximate a real project, then I am a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> so let's give a little I mean, they're credit. Cool. Cause, they're, cause... they're a great way to learn, but like, let's not get overboard here on what, yeah. it, on what it is, right? Well, let's, let's give a little credit because... Who is it? Jay Jonathan? Jonathan? Am I saying that right? I, I don't know. So I think he posted this on our Slack channel, and that, that mm. created this like flood of debate. Well, on- it was mainly, so Paul Battison had a, a lot of good comments, and I'll, I'll get to those. But I want to set the, I want to continue setting the, uh, the context here. Okay. So the next quote is, we expect to see, and I don't know, this guy talks like he's some company expert or what, I don't know. We expect to see companies mandate certifications more frequently as a baseline, but use Trailhead super badges to distinguish one candidate from another. So well, you, you get your foot on the door with certifications, but then they're going to actually pick you based on your super badges. <laughs> okay, yeah. marker. Bullshit. <laughs> um, so that means building out your Salesforce training resume well beyond the one-line, check-in-the-box nature of a certification exam. You can distinguish distinguish yourself from the competition with badges. Right. And so Paul says, Ugh, that blog upsets me in so many ways. So let's go through his ways. <laughs> he says, first, employers don't want them. They want certifications as they are a constituent of the partner value score with the part with the Salesforce partner program and provide a, a standardized way of detailing who knows what in the in the, the proctored manner, right? Yeah, and, and partners, yeah, because you know partners, right? They care about. They want you to get the certification mm-hmm. so they can get their silver or their platinum or their diamond. Or they're the only ones that care about certifications. <laughs> they care the most of anyone. I would, I think, is a. I'm not saying they're the only ones who care. Salesforce cares a lot because they make a lot of money on this university program. Okay, Salesforce and partners, partners care a lot. Care right? about certifications, yeah. and um, to that point, Salesforce and partners care about badges. And Paul, Only. Paul also thinks that certifications are the best way of asserting knowledge in a standardized way. He says, think of them as a checkbox barrier t- uh, to entry when you're getting 300 CVs and you need a quick way to whittle that down. Is it harsh and unscientific? Yes. But that's exactly what happens with all recruiting and hiring, which is true. I mean, Salesforce in some ways just playing into and reinforcing the way that crappy, low-quality hiring is already done. Um, thirdly, the exams are dumb with some of the stuff they ask you to remember, uh, but I've been forced to research a, and review a ton of information through studying for those things that has saved me time in developing. So what he's saying is like, in studying for some of these, what are obviously stupid questions, you actually end up learning some things 
not necessarily about those questions, but just about other stuff that actually helped them as, as a professional. Mm. Um, fourth, Trailhead is a learning resource, not a certification resource. That's what I was saying a minute ago. It, it's it's purposefully high level to help lower the barrier to entry and get started. I mean, Trailhead is like this: is what you give to someone like you know nothing about Salesforce and want to jump on this, you know, bandwagon. Here, that's what that's what Trailhead's for. Don't Woo-hoo. don't go don't go download the gravy train. Yeah, choo choo. Don't, don't go download the Sockle syntax manual. Like do no. Trailhead. Yeah, yeah, do that. <clears throat> choo choo. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Marker. Yeah, back to, okay, Marker. He, he said it's purposely high level to help lower the barrier to entry and get started. But no one should be hired because they've done a Trailhead badge, which means they have spent a couple of hours at a screen reading. Okay. Which is it's kind of what certifications are, though. Um, fifth, Salesforce University is a money-making arm for Salesforce. Those certifications are going nowhere, and I gr- totally agree with that. You got anything else to add? Yes. Okay. Certifications and badges are bullshit. <laughs> marker. <laughs> you don't have to say marker. <laughs> I, I've been a tirade. I've, I've been cursing all through I this know. episode. All right, so here, here's the thing. The most valuable person that you can hire is someone that just completed a certification. After that, who knows what they know? Who knows what they retained? Human beings, when, they, when it comes to learning, they learn through repetition. They learn through doing something over and over. They gain expertise by doing something over and over. Tell me where the badge system allows you to level up by doing something over and over. Right. Tell me where the certification system allows you to gain expertise by doing something over and over. No, that's a the, good point. The, the, the year-over-year certifications only cover new features. They don't cover past features. So they don't recertify you that you know and have retained everything from the past. So relying on certifications and relying on badges is BS. Well, and you're, 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 you're singing my tune here. This is what I've been saying. And the reason is because when I look at like the skills that I have, so I'm a Salesforce developer, architect, whatever you want to call me, so I've got all those skills. I can also come from a... Traditional, you know, I've done enterprise stuff with Java, done some mobile stuff. So I've got those skills that typically go into that that type of thing. But when I think about what my my most valuable skills are, it's it's none of those things that you would probably would have listed. It's uh, knowing how to work with people. It's it's knowing how when people sit down with you and they're so damn confident that they know what they want. It's me being able to tactfully change the conversation. And ask the right question in the right way that they don't get, because they're insecure, right? They don't, you don't make them look bad. Actually, you're, you're trying to do it in a way that makes them look good. And, and lowers their, what do you call it? Their, um, their guard a little bit mm-hmm. to reconsider what they thought was something fixed in their mind. And you end up with something that looks completely different than what they thought they were getting or the, what they thought they wanted and is a way better solution. What do you call that skill? Being a good consultant, I, I guess I don't even know what it is. Um, yeah, what do you what do you call the skill of? Um, well, I mean, is isn't that what a consultant is supposed to be? Someone who has expertise in 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 in, in an area and is able to effectively take what you're saying, your requirements, your and I'm using air quotes here, requirements, and be able to translate into into something that you need. And these are yeah, or so, that you want. Right. And these are really not even developed. But even if you think of in terms of like developer skills, like if if you give a requirement to ten different developers, you're going to get ten different solutions, right? Right. And yeah. some of them are going to be just you know a you know twelve thousand line long class file. It'll range from that to something that's like um really well factored with 
all the right concepts and, and you know, single responsibility well, principle thing, you know, right. Well designed, well tested under easy to understand, easy to maintain, right? All well, the, and, you'll get a spectrum. You'll get the very but, low end that's, that's under engineered and me, you'll get the high end that's over engineered well, and you'll get somewhere right, in the middle. Right. You, when they, when they've got their, you know, uh, invoker provider authorization manager, <laughs> you know, class or whatever. No, but oh. this is Salesforce. There are no namespaces. So you actually do have to name your classes <laughs> like that. So you got to cut them some slack. I mean, yeah, cut the over engineers some, some slack. But one of those, one of those people is going to le- leave you with a piece of software that is reliable, that is understandable, and that can, and most importantly, can be maintained, can be right. is something you can build on. Right. The other one's going to be a mess that when you hire someone else to come in and fix it, they're going to say, yeah, you know what? You're going to have to throw that whole thing away. And that that takes experience. I mean, the person but doing that, it, and it, does. it takes experience. But none of these are going to show up on certifications or badges. No. I mean, I, I've, okay, take me. I've written code and looked at it and go, damn, I should have written that differently. Or that sucked. I should have done it this way. Well, you honestly, because you sh- experience told me maintenance wise or over time that didn't scale. But if you ever stop having that feeling, then you've probably stopped learning. I, I never stop having that feeling. I, I hope I don't. I always I can. I, don't. I always can look back at code I wrote a year ago and think, "Damn, I sucked." Yeah. <laughs> but that's that, that's the fallacy of certifications. It's a fallacy of the badges in that well, <laughs> at a certain point in time, you knew how to do this, and thus you know how to do that for forever. I can tell you right now, my thirteen years of experience working Salesforce, I still Google. Apex page. I still Google, oh, sure. you know, system class. Well, I still Google all these base did you see fundamental the, did, things because I can't retain that. Did you see some of the questions Jay was posting? The stuff they wanted you to memorize? They want you to memorize basically every single metadata type. Well, I mean, that's, that's valid. That's stupid. That's, that's stupid. It, it's valid for Salesforce to say, for you to be an expert, you need to memorize these things. No, that's if, stupid. If you want your sole you career to be based on Salesforce, you should live and breathe and memorize Salesforce. You should not waste your brain space on things that can be easily referenced. If you're a good developer, you don't care about that stuff. You don't care about what? Wasting your brain Mes- space? Me- memorizing yeah, proprietary technologies. What? Because you know you can look that up. Exactly. That's okay. Exactly. But I just—I mean—you just, I mean, just re- kind of paraphrase what I just said. But yes. Yeah. I—I I, I, I mean, from from the the perspective of memorizing Salesforce and all its metadata and all its objects and all the features, you're wasting your time. Well, be a good developer. Memorize good development practices. Good developer practice uh, patterns. I'll say. Right. Yeah. Patterns. I mean. Uh, yeah. And 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 know that that's going to evolve over time. Know that you're going to do something, and a month later you're going to go. That's I should have done that differently, and that's okay. That's you evolving. That's you becoming a better developer, and that's okay. Yep. To rely on certifications as a from the HR perspective or from the hiring perspective to say that oh you got a badge and 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 how to create an Apex class that means you're a developer. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Right. Because you have not gained expertise the, in that. You've not demonstrated an expertise in that that perspective. You've done it once. Well, let's say that you apply for a job and you've got, you know, your 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 one certification and some other guy applies for the same job and he's got 10 certifications. Hmm? You know, th- this is the thing. This is why people get certifications. Well, because we know that's how people okay. hire. So here here's a here's a I don't know how but how do we that. always get back to this conversation? <laughs> 
So everything leads back to certifications. If we both have an interview, then I should win out because I should be able to demonstrate through my interviewing skills, through my ability to communicate what I've done and and my abilities. Not if you're not, not if you're not given the chance. Again, in an interview perspective, if, if, if someone has more certifications or more badges than me, which 90%, percent of the time that will be the case because I've got one certification and no badges, they will win out over me on that prospect. But if I'm able to get to the HR or get to the director or get to someone who's managing that team who has the ability to say, I want this person over this person, in an interview perspective, I should win out because I can, I can effectively communicate what I've done in my experience and my, my knowledge of the platform over someone who's only done badges and only gotten a certification. I think when you go in there and you try to make your case, they're going to say this to you. <laughs> and, and you're going to your, say, to your gonna, point, badges. to your point, is, you're going to reply with, we ain't with, got no badges. <laughs> we don't need you. no badges. <laughs> I don't have to show you any stinking bushes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. And, and to your point, that's not a company I want to work for. If, no, if, that's true. if their only criteria is that I have these badges or I have this certification, well, I don't want to work for that company. Actually, maybe it's a company. Hang on. Maybe it's, here's the problem. Maybe it's a company you do want to work for, but you've got this brain dead hiring manager. Or, you know, like a, not a hiring manager, but like the, the. Not possible. Yes, it is possible. Not possible. It happens all the time. Not possible social media. I have access to people those in the, within those companies. You want to talk about? Let's get social with social media. <laughs> I love that song, by the way. You can just rock, you walk in with your boombox, start playing that. You know, that there. pops in my head every so often. And I, <laughs> I, I claim to hate it. But I, oh, you know you I love it. I secretly love it. You know you love it. <laughs> I secretly sit there and go, let's get social. <laughs> you can't deny it. All right, since you derailed me, back to my point. Oh, shit. What was my point? It would not be a company you'd want to work for. Yes, it wouldn't. (laughs) That's the only point I'm trying to make is that if a company is going to exclude me simply because I don't have enough certifications. It's it's a brain-dead gatekeeper. That's that's the problem. You're going to have to get past. Okay, I remember remember the point I was trying to make. So IBM bought, um, who did they buy? Blue Wolf? Blue Wolf. I've had plenty of opportunities and have interviewed with Blue Wolf. Mm-hmm. The only thing that kept me from working with Blue Wolf was their NDA. Their non-compete. Yeah. I'm sorry, not NDA, but non-compete. Mm-hmm. Which was way too restrictive. Yeah. And I didn't want to spend the time... Hopefully they of, didn't have an NDA that covered that non-compete. <laughs> <laughs> True. It was a non-compete that I didn't want to spend the time of hiring a lawyer to... to work on my behalf to make the NDA work for or that non-compete to work for me because right. basically they probably wouldn't have accepted your change anyway right the, their non-compete said that I couldn't work for anybody for for two years yeah you basically have to go collect garbage for I, two years I basically had to like change my my industry right completely yeah because there there was just no way you go you go fish yeah you go exactly become a fisherman <laughs> I was like I'm not willing to do this I, I've passed all your tests and you want to hire me but this non-compete is an issue. So IBM buys them. Maybe I want to work for IBM. Maybe IBM is an awesome company and I want to work for that big company. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're hiring based on certifications and badges. 
do I really want to work for IBM at that point? If IBM is valuing, valuing me based on badges and certifications. It is a warning sign. It's a smell. It's it an is. employer smell. It is. Yeah. No, I, I don't. It's a smell, though. And a smell doesn't necessarily mean that there's something rotten there. It just means that maybe somebody farted nearby. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that, it's that Spider-Man sixth sense of, uh, uh, this doesn't seem right. Yeah, I no, shouldn't do it this. Does. It, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. I mean, we, we, all, we all get those. We all get those. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, I know this is going to end badly, but I'm going to do it. Right. And, and, you know. And usually you need to end up trusting your instinct, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a year later you're going, damn, I shouldn't have done that. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. Should have listened to yourself. And, and to that, and to that I say good day, sir. You lose, you get nothing. Good, 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 good day, sir.